Hello, everyone. This is Kate just chiming in with a quick note. Noel and I had to record earlier in the week this this week than we usually do uh, for logistical reasons. And so we recorded before the news broke on Friday about two TV-related topics. We will talk about both of them next week on the podcast. First of all, congratulations, Lucifer fans. Season four has been picked up by Netflix. I'm very excited for you. We'll talk about it more next week. But more importantly, uh, Friday morning this past week, Chloe Dykstra posted on Medium a lengthy post detailing her previous relationship trauma, having been in an abusive, uh, emotionally and sexually abusive relationship for three years. In the post, she does not name names, but it takes no detective work to figure out she's talking about Chris Hardwick. This is obviously a massive personality at uh, in nerd culture at Comic-Con, and he is the host of several different TV shows on the AMC network. Um, at the end of Friday, Friday night, uh, Chris Hardwick did publish a response, post a response denying all of the allegations, and uh, we will see what happens in the following days. There's been a massive uh, outcry by fans for him to be specifically removed from the Doctor Who panel, hosting the Doctor Who panel at Comic-Con. The first ever female doctor, of course, will be uh, the central part of that panel, likely. Um, Also calls for him to be removed as the host of Talking With um, and, and other you know, of his, his, his TV shows. So uh, note, he he is no longer affiliated with Nerdist, the Nerdist, and has not been working there for several years and officially ended his contract with them in 2017. So he is in no way affiliated with Nerdist and has not been for several years now. Um, however, this is a, a very significant uh, allegation by Chloe Dykstra. I will speak for myself. I assume also Noel, but I will speak for myself in saying that we believe Chloe and uh, applaud her for coming forward with her story of abuse and and survival and, and the work that she has done to try to overcome that. Um, more on this next week on the podcast. We you know regret that we were not able to find some time to both sit down and, and talk about this this week, but we absolutely will next week. So um, if you want more information on this, go. There's, there's several articles that have been put together in the past 24, 48 hours, and we will continue to follow as, you know, developments likely continue uh, over the next week. Thank you. Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your hustle and Kate like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalzik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. Noel, it's still a shitty week this week, but... We get to talk about Sense8, so, like, I'm focusing on that part, and that's lovely. Carpool karaoke plus bullet train karaoke plus van karaoke. (laughs) I'm here for all of the karaoke's as long as they don't involve late night talk show hosts. Sometimes even when they do, but, like, they're so much better if they involve, uh, you know, a bunch of people who are not quite human, and then also some people who are. Yeah. 
I think that's fair. Yeah, I think that's I think that's I think that's what to focus on is the Sense Eight finale. Yes, yes. So that is coming at the end of the show, listeners. We're going to talk just about the finale for for like it's like forty minutes or something. I don't know. It was a lovely yeah. conversation. We yeah. could have gone on forever just saying all the love the things that we liked about the show and and talking about all the performances and everything. Like we didn't even talk about how amazing it is that of course the show stayed true to its mission statement around like characters like Amanita and, and, and Nomi all the way through to the end. And like, we didn't even talk about how groundbreaking the show is. We just talked about how much we love this finale (laughs) and the things that we didn't like, but we don't really care about because we still like it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, we can, we can have some folks on to discuss the series as a whole at some other point. Yeah. We really should do that. Just if only so I have a reason to, to rewatch, it would be, it would be a good time. Obviously, we both very much like Sense8. We also very much like getting emails. So thank you to Joe, who reached out and emailed. Um, he said, I just finished watching The Terror and listened to your spotlight. Since you asked queer listeners for their thoughts, I wanted to mention that you forgot or perhaps didn't pick up on two other queer characters who were decidedly not evil and mutinous. I'm talking about mm-hmm. the couple played by John Lynch and Kevin Guthrie. Their relationship was only revealed in the back half of the show at around the same time, not coincidentally not coincidentally, I'm guessing, as Hickey's true villainy was revealed. I think I would have struggled with Hickey and his lover's turn if the show hadn't included this extraordinarily tender second gay romance. If you can't remember which characters I'm talking about, it's the very hirsute um, medical assistant and the young man to whom he lends books. I can't stop thinking about the moment where Lynch lifts Guthrie, who is near death, and carries him away in front of the rest of the crew, who can presumably discern that they are lovers given how they are holding each other. It was my favorite moment in the entire show. Anyways, I just want to throw that out there as a sign that the creative team were aware of the potential pitfalls regarding Hickey and came up with a good solution. Love the podcast. Um, so, Joe, thank you so much for writing in and for, you know, listening to our segment, listening to the podcast. We always love to hear from listeners. I admit to not having been watching closely enough. I absolutely remember that moment where where he lifts up Guthrie. Like, I, I, I knew exactly what you were talking about at that moment. Um, but I hadn't been paying close enough attention earlier in the show to see what that was the culmination of. And so I just saw I wasn't picking up the fact that they were clearly a, a couple. But then as soon as you said that, I was like, yep, that's another classic straight washing, <laughs> you know, from my because of my perspective and lens and not paying attention to what the show was seeding. So, yeah, that's that that's a great comment and thing. like did you notice did you were you were you paying attention all no, i wasn't paying attention i i fully admit that i was i was like also like folding laundry and doing stuff sometimes when i watch the terror so i definitely missed that one no just totally correct and we did and i certainly forgot about it because I, this is something i did pick up on and in our discussions it just uh f- flew didn't, out of my yeah, radar didn't come up yeah um, and Joe's really correct in that the presentation of them, particularly how the scene that he mentions in contrast to Hickey's villainy, um, feels very pur- purposeful and planted there exactly to avoid what you and I sort of discussed. And th- it is something I picked up on, but it's also something that's really sort of delicately subtle and is... It's sort of those one of those textual subtextual things of like it's very clearly this, but the show doesn't want to overplay that hand because these are two very much more discerning men, um, well, disc- discretionary men than mm-hmm. Hickey is, 
And I think that's sort of why it like kind of fell out of my radar a little bit when we were discussing it. Because otherwise I would have bought it up. Um, but I also freely admit to not remembering their names. Because um, <laughs> of Game of Thrones Season 1 Syndrome, yeah. Yes, exactly. But no, Joe's, Joe's comment's really well taken. When I read it, I just went, oh, yeah, that's... That's right. We should have mentioned the two of them. Um, so thank you, Joe, for pointing them out because their their discussion of books is really lovely, and their their relationship is also just really delicately and lovely, lovely, love, lovingly handled. Yeah, and like like you said, Joe, a very smart choice to uh, contrast with Hickey and what was going with Hickey. So it was well written, and it was a nice thing to include, anyways. But particularly. Uh, a a wise choice given the other the larger uh, context for the show and for all of TV. So, yeah. So, uh, thank you for writing in and listeners. We want to hear from you. So, so do just shoot us an email. The Televerse at gmail dot com. Joe, hope to hear from you in the future as well. This week we're going to talk about a bunch of other TV. We are recording early because I am on location, so no Drag Race this week. But. Uh, I caught up on a bunch of TV, so I am no longer slacking behind. I can actually talk about Queen Sugar. I can actually talk about Reverie. I'm behind on like two shows, but most of them I'm, I'm caught up. It's very exciting for me. Um, I'm also caught up on some of some news. Um, so I did not watch all of the Tonys. I watched some of it. We'll be talking about that a little bit later. But I certainly heard about uh, the the Rachel Bloom NPH thing. Did you hear about this when this was happening? I heard about it, like, the next day. Um, mm-hmm. It was, just, like, the first thing Google let me know in my cards. Mm-hmm. And I just went, oh, well, this must be some sort of a joke. Oh, no, Rachel Bloom says it's not. And that Neil Patrick Harris is kind of a jerk. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I Like, I was trying to find, and maybe uh, some video exists now at this point, because it's been long enough since the Tony's, but I was trying to find all the Rachel Bloom interstitials, because mm-hmm. I care mostly about a couple of the speeches and the musical performances and Rachel Bloom stuff. And I haven't been able to find that yet. But for oh, those, that's very disappointing. It's very disappointing. Um, she was the backstage host. Listeners, if you don't know, uh, she last year at the Tonys, she she did that gig as well where they would like cut to her and she'd like walk around backstage and talk to people. Um, and she did like a gag with like increasingly smaller hats or something. I don't really know, but apparently it was funny. She was back this year to do a thing as well. I really enjoyed her theater kid revenge corner thing with her middle school diary. It was very funny. Um, but apparently people watching the Emmys, including, uh, you know, were commenting on, on her and um, NPH was watching the, the Tonys with, did I say Emmys? He's watching the Tonys with his husband and their kids, and the kids said something about who is this, and rather than, you know, Google it, NPH decided to tweet about, like, who is this person? She says, like, a lot. It's like, and then Rachel directly tweeted back to him. It's like, hi, we've met a bunch, and my husband wrote on your show for five years, including one of your most significant episodes, so... Indeed. Well, thanks. <laughs> yeah, no, like, and apparently he later apologized on Twitter. I haven't read that, but it's, it was just... He did, but it's also bullshit. Oh, um. yeah. It's like, dude, MPH, you were just being a dick. And also, if you're a musical theater guy, you should know who Rachel Bloom is. Like, I don't expect everyone to know who Rachel Bloom is. I expect TV critics to know who she is. I expect musical theater fans to know who she is. And I expect anyone who has hosted the Tonys. Yeah. To know who she is. That's ridiculous. Anyways, um, 
yeah, we we all know we're Team Rachel on this one. Uh, over at The Walking Dead, or I should say Fear the Walking Dead, they've just solidified that I don't need to catch up on the show because they killed off Kim Dickens, and screw that. <laughs> yeah, this was super weird, because um, their justification for killing off, um, well, for Cliff Curtis leaving was mm-hmm. the fact that he wasn't the lead, which left Kim Dickens as ostensibly to be the lead. Yeah. And admittedly, this is now new showrunners and everything have taken over in season four. And they were just like, well, I guess we got to make room for Garen Dillahunt and Jenna Elfman and Lenny James. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, but Kim Dickens, everyone. Kim Dickens. She's really good, y'all. She's the and reason she's I really tuned good in on the that first show. Place. Right. Yeah. No, exactly. Like I tuned in for her and Cliff Curtis because I think Cliff Curtis is great as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's just like, what are you doing? And she didn't want to leave either. This mm. was very much something she didn't want to do. And the show's been sort of shedding people as it like transitions into season four because I think the fellow who plays like. Dickens and Clifford's characters, um, Curtis, I should say, son has left, I think, as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so the only person left is Lisa Lisa Carey. Carey, which is just, I have to assume that the hundred is bribing them to keep her on the show. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, and she's fabulous. She's also very good and good yes, on that show. Um, but yeah, I'm sure there are people definitely still watching specifically for her, but yeah. I mean, it's just, it just boggles my mind. Like, over at The Walking Dead, people are ready to leave because they've been doing that gig a while, but... Yeah, and no one wants to keep shooting at Atlanta in the summertime. Like, no one wants to do it. <laughs> I mean, no shade to, to Jenna Elfman, but, like, if you have Kim Dickens, you don't kill her off so you can bring in Jenna Elfman. Like, you already have that lead. You don't need a new female white blonde female lead of like roughly at least as far as hollywood's concerned the same age like yeah i mean i just don't under, i don't i don't get it but i haven't been watching so i can't yeah. comment on the new characters but it just seems very strange to me yeah i think it's really strange too and it doesn't really make any sense and i like how politely candid dickens was in um her exit interview with like entertainment weekly of like yeah i didn't really want to do this and i really regret not getting a chance to work with some actors that i've a worked with in the past during dill hunt mm-hmm. and i was also really looking forward to working with lenny james and even james was like apparently really upset because he was looking forward to working with kim dickens because again see the point above it's kim dickens yeah exactly <laughs> yeah it's just it's very strange so who knows? I'm guessing there are still plenty of people watching Fear the Walking Dead because zombies, so it's yeah. not like a show's going anywhere anytime soon, but that is, it really is a shame, and yeah. yeah it makes it nice. easier for me, so I don't have to catch up with that one, but I do need to catch up with Vita. It has finished season one, but it has been renewed for season two, and the creator has an overall deal at Stars, so we should expect more projects with that collaboration. That's good news. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to that. Unfortunately, though, People of Earth has been canceled. It was, it's not, apparently it was, like, picked up, but then canceled. They changed yeah. their mind or something, which is, you know, my poor heart went all pitter-pat. But, you know, I, I, I understand them not necessarily wanting to continue with the sort of the reboot that they were doing. But mm-hmm. I would have been all here for Nassim Pedrad. I would have been, too. Um, and it was especially disappointing because the creator or executive producer of the show tweeted out that they've written all the episodes for season three Mm. and they're just like yeah they don't want them anymore and it's just like that's not great um on any number of levels because a number of really talented people are out of work again have to find new steady jobs and that well not steady cable steady jobs yeah um and 
yeah, it's it's disappointing, and especially it's disappointing for my person because she she caught up on people <laughs> on an airplane, and she was like, "This is really good." And I told her yesterday, "I have some bad news for you." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's such a good ensemble. They're so yeah. funny and they're so good together. So I will certainly miss that one. Um, I'm not excited about uh, this Comcast and Fox thing and the AT and T and Time Warner, you know, thing, which is now done. Um, yay, monopolies! Because you know, you don't know what we need in this country is more monopolies. That's that helps. That helps everyone. It helps all of us. Hey, it, it's not a monopoly, Kate. It's it's encouraging competition and innovation within the marketplace, and. Oh my god, no, it's just so terrible. Like, I don't want to get on my soapbox about the Telecommunications Act of 1996. I want you to get on the soapbox about that, because I know what you're talking about, but it's only because I'm a nerd. A lot of people don't know what you're talking about. Right, so the Telecommunications Act of 1996 was a major piece of legislation that was signed by Bill Clinton in 1996. And it was the first real major overhaul of uh, the telecommunication regulatory system in about 20 to 30 years at that time. I think the last really big one was in the 70s. And one of the significant things that uh, the Telecom Act of 96 did was it allowed, it allowed for media cross-ownership, which meant that companies that weren't ostensibly entertainment companies or television companies or movie companies could start buying up things outside of their particular purview. So what ended up slowly happening over time were things like the Time Warner AOL deal, or in this case, AT&T buying Time Warner without needing to get rid of any of its things like DirecTV or needing to explore the fact that it could feasibly charge more for other services as opposed to saying charge less for its own over-air content. Um, so that kind of a thing. And that's really frustrating. And a lot of what people think is that because this was being kind of circulated in the water just before a judge overruled the Justice Department, which was weirdly suing to prevent this from happening, um, and that Comcast was apparently going to make a play for Fox if the judge decided in favor of this merger, which it did. And so Comcast offered a $65 billion in cash deal for Fox uh, versus Disney's uh, deal for Fox, was, which was mostly stock. And Comcast is also offering a certain amount of pay or play sort of deal. So if they, um, if Comcast, if Fox decides to go with Comcast, then Comcast will additionally cover like the $1.6 or $1.25 billion fee that Fox would have to pay for backing out of the Disney deal. Um, and so this is this is really terrible from a media consolidation standpoint. This also prioritizes um, issues of uh, screening access, in particular from Comcast, where they will become a majority shareholder in Hulu if they do this deal, um, since NBC Universal already has um, a stake within Hulu. Anyone who buys Fox is basically going to have a majority stake in. Hulu anyway, but if a cable company does that, then the whole net neutrality aspect comes into play of them being able to not necessarily throttle Hulu access versus Netflix or Amazon type of access. So you can see how this is a really 
complicated sort of issue, but it's also a really bad thing overall for the very things that they claim that they're trying to protect, which is market competition, ideas of innovation. It's this very sort of neoliberal nonsense that the idea of allowing medias and businesses to consolidate into major corporations somehow makes things better, which is not the case and can lead to multiple other things. If you're interested in like more sort of criticisms of this, um, I'd really recommend that you check out the writings of Robert McChesney. Um, he's an academic who's written a great deal about this, and he co-founded the Free Press, uh, which was established in 03. Um, he does a lot of stuff on media regulation, and a lot of his work points to the fact that maintaining a healthy balance of um, viewpoints within the media and that kind of thing runs counter to the current regulation climate of increasing consolidation. So if you're interested in why this is bad, McChesney does this really well, and he does this with a great deal of empirical research as well as some theoretical research. But his work is very accessible, even though it is very dry. He's not (laughs) the most interesting writer, but he is a very smart writer. So I'd really encourage you, if you're interested in this, check out Robert Robert McChesney's work. Um, and you, that will just send you down a rabbit hole, a bunch around a bunch of other things as well. But Mm -hmm. my is really great. And Mm -hmm. this is just generally a very bad thing and you should be upset about it basically. Yeah. It's, it's like the, all the reasons why this is gonna be so great. It's just such, such bullshit, such obvious bull. It's, you mentioned net neutrality. It's the same thing. It's like, oh, this will be great because then it loves us have fast lanes you realize that in order to have a fast lane, you need to have a slow lane. Correct. Or that's a less fast lane is how less it will be. faster just... lane. Yeah. yeah. That's, how this, that's how this works. Like yeah. every single time you make more money and the consumers get fucked. That's how this works. Yes. It's like, oh my God. It's so, so, so irritating. Um, Anyways, read up on these issues, read some McChesney, and uh, call your representatives and vote. Yeah. Yeah. Always vote. Always vote. Always, always vote. Uh, Uh, Do you want to do Star Trek? Oh, yes. There was one other late breaking as we record. Um, What's what's going on over at All Access, Noel? Right. So um, All Access has uh, ousted uh, Gretchen Berg and Aaron Harberts who were the showrunners for Star Trek Discovery. Uh, they've been, they've filmed about six episodes of season two so far. And All Access claims that it's on track to air in 2019, which with this show, I'll believe it when I see it. Um, uh, Alex Kurtzman's going to take over as showrunner um, starting in like episode six or seven, I think at this point, um, based on what the Hollywood Reporter is uh, putting out. Because um, this happened basically like an hour ago. Um, the reasons for Berg and Harpert's ouster um, is apparently twofold. One is operational in that budgets for the episodes were ballooning really high, which isn't particularly surprising with a show like this. Sorry, my cat's automated feeder spit out food. <laughs> um, so that isn't particularly surprising, um, but it's also worrying when this is basically your flagship show, and also this show is probably the most expensive show in All Access, and whether or not All Access can actually afford that is up in the air. Um, and then the other reason is apparently uh, both of them were really abusive to writers, so much so that writers were going were prepared to go to HR if Kurtzman wasn't going to do something about it. 
And so that is also another reason, because apparently, like, at least one of um, either Berg or Hartberts were, like, leaning over writing tables and yelling expletives at uh, writers in the room. So that's not great. That's actually just really terrible and not conducive to a proper, like, sort of production experience. Um, So that's definitely factoring into it. Um, Also leaving the show is Akiva uh, Goldsman, who's been with this show for a while um, since... It was in production with, um, I think, um, what's his name? Uh, Fuller. Um, and Berg and Hartsburg should be noted as they're also like longtime Fuller collaborators. And they both stayed when Fuller left. Um, so this is sort of a weird and big shakeup for a show that's had so many production issues already. Um, just getting on the air in season one. So to have this halfway through season two is like not great. Um, so it'll be curious to see what is what Discovery 2 Season 2 is going to look at if you're interested in seeing what that's going to look like. Yeah, yeah, and Kurtzman has, has many credits that are encouraging, right. like but Alias also, and Fringe, yeah. but also, and, you know, and Limitless, yeah. um, but, but also Sleepy Hollow and the downturn that that took. Um, yeah. Not the first season of Sleepy Hollow, the entire run. Of Sleepy Hollow. So, uh, we'll see. Yeah, yeah. I want to believe in the limitless part of that bio (laughs) and not the Sleepy Hollow part of that bio, but we will just... I mean, I'm going to watch no matter what, if only uh, for for Cynical Martin Green and Tignataro showing up in season two. But, um, yeah, that was uh, late-breaking news, so... Glad we could get that in under the wire. Um, as we said at the beginning of the segment, we're talking Sense8 at the end of the podcast, but we got plenty of TV to catch up with, so let's get into it. Um, <laughs> we'll, let's take it over to a little music from the Tony Awards. We'll be right back with our Weekend TV after this. came floating on From the west, from the south, honey in my ears, spice in my mouth, dark and thrilling, strange and sweet, Cleopatra. That was one of the musical numbers from the Tony Awards this year. Uh, I was so tempted to just use some of uh, Rachel Bloom's Do You Want to Go Watch the Tony Awards with Me? short, which is her video, which is very funny. Um, this year we had the 72nd annual Tony Awards. Uh, I did not watch it live because I was catching up with Queen Sugar at the time. <laughs> I instead watched um, the, the opening number with Josh Groban and Sarah Bareilles, which was lovely, and some of the music performances, some of the speeches, and all these different things. I really liked what I saw from the hosts. I thought they did a very good job. Uh, there were, as you know, people will have been talking about, there's some really lovely um, speeches. Uh, I did not know anything about the band's visit. Do you know what the band's visit is? 
I don't haven't even heard of this. Okay, so this is the musical that won best uh, new musical, best original musical, um, and it is, but is based on a film. All the nominees were based on films. So there was Frozen, there was SpongeBob, there so uh, there's Mean Girls, and there was The Band's Visit, and it's just about it's a small musical like um, scale in scale uh, about a band from Egypt that goes to Israel to do a concert, but through language communication, ends up in a small town in the middle of nowhere, and the next bus isn't until the next day. So it just follows some of the members of the band and some of the members of the town and that evening, and mm-hmm. as they get to know each other and talk about their lives. and you know, So it's very intimate. And, um, so, this sounds really good. Right? And the musical number from that, which I haven't decided which one I'm using, I probably will use the Omar Sharif, which is the musical number that from that show that was featured on the Tonys. Um, absolutely gorgeous. And it's been stuck in my head since I watched it. I've watched it uh, several times. Uh, and, um, oh, Tony Shalhoub got best featured actor in a musical. Um, he, he gave a lovely speech as did the, um, uh, man who won a supporting featured actor or whatever in a musical. He had a beautiful speech about, um, uh, having hid, having hidden his Middle Eastern ancestry um, after 9-11 and not taking his family with him to events because, you know, he was worried about being uh, outed as uh, being of Middle Eastern descent. Um, and then so how powerful it was to play a character who was Middle Eastern um, in this show. But it was lovely. And I was very glad to have that show brought to my attention. Also, the SpongeBob number was way better than I anticipated because it was the Squidward number. Have you seen this? No, I have not. I know like very, very little about the musical season at all right now. So. I know nothing about it, really. Yeah. Uh, I was not interested in watching the the, the Mean Girls musical. Um, people were shocked that Tina Fey didn't win Best Book that went to the band's visit as well. But, um, but yeah, no, the number from SpongeBob, which actually got me a little, just a little curious about the SpongeBob musical, was a Squidward number called I'm Not a Loser. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a tap number, but they give him, like, I don't know exactly how they puppeted this, but the guy who plays Squidward has four legs, because obviously Squidward. Yeah. yeah, so, like, but, like, He's a reg. I don't know how they do because he's tap dancing and he's got his two legs, and then he's got two legs going bending the other direction. Mm-hmm. And I don't. It hurts my brain. It's very cool. I'm sure there's a very simple way that they do it, um, you know. But still, it was. It's really cool to watch. So go seek that out, everybody. Um, and yeah, it was. You know, I didn't. I didn't watch the Springsteen number because. I, I respect and appreciate Springsteen, but I'm not, like, the biggest Springsteen fan. So I, and I people thought that was really cool. For me, I was all like, oh, what's this new musical about uh, about Egyptian and Israeli people talking, <laughs> sitting at a cafe and talking? Like, that's – I'm obsessed with that and not very interested in, in the other thing. Also, I will give a shout-out to you, friend of the show, Caroline Sita, who wrote up this uh, – the Tony Awards for the AB Club – and specifically mentioned, y'all, why didn't you use the quick do let it go from Frozen? Because there's an amazing quick change that they do in the show, and the effects for it are, for the whole for let it go are amazing. But they didn't do it at the Tonys, but they did it when they had the show on the View. So mm-hmm. listeners, go seek out that video as well. Caroline is absolutely right; it is awesome. So <laughs> go seek out Frozen, but on the View, not on the, the Tonys. Tonys. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Anyway, so it was, I was glad that I had watched as much as I did, and I would have liked to watch more, but it was more important, listeners, for me to get caught up on Queen Sugar for You 
Let's move on. Uh, Archer had its Danger Island finale, a discovery. And I just, I, this really, this season has not been very funny, not very interesting. It's really been the, the, the least interesting and the least successful of their, of their fantasy kind of like a flights of fancy. Maybe let's say that seasons. Yeah. At the very end, they set up what their next season's going to be. And it's going to be them in space. Uh, Archer wakes up out of a cryopod and there's okay. like a, sure. Because they well, haven't done that. Three other times already? Not for a whole season. That would like, you know, in this new model. Um, yeah. But there's like a glowing purple orb light thingy that you get the sense it might be an AI or something. And that's Mother. And that's voiced by Jessica Walters, by National Treasure Jessica Walters. Um, so, you, you know, you can see the whole line of, of pods, cryogenic, mm-hmm. you know, frozen cryogenic pods, whatever. And Archer's the loon who wakes up. So that's clearly setting up next season. Hopefully they get some more humor out of that one. But it really, it feels like significant, um, you know, like lack of returns, you know, at this point. Uh, it, it's just, you're you're losing out on all these interpersonal dynamics. And when you reset each season, it just, it's less interesting each time. Uh, only eight episodes didn't help either because then they couldn't build, like, the, the mythology and the in-jokes and pay those off towards the end of the season like they usually do on the show. But yeah, I'd really, I was, it was sort of like, a, oh, I guess I should watch this just to clear out my DVR kind of season. That's disappointing because uh, usually Archer is one of my more reliable comedies. So that is disappointing. I, I, I was very keen on like the first couple episodes, but then I watched the third one and I just went, oh, they're just going to stay in the town. Oh, yeah, oh. they, they get to the, they get to the, the jungle later. There's a quicksand thing that's pretty funny. There's super uh, anti-white, uh, racist against white people cannibals that they interact mm-hmm. with. Um, yeah, uh, David Cross shows up as a uh, anthropologist uh, who's who's embedded with them. Uh, in for there's some fun gags there, but yeah, they really they underutilize their main cast. They don't have enough of interest, and yeah. The talking bird thing never really pays off in any meaningful way. So, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm hoping the next season will be better. Yeah, I'll check out space because they, as, as much as I'm sort of side eyeing them doing space, they do space very well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I'll circle back for that. I'm not going to catch up on this. Yeah. Um, but I will. I will. I will come back for space. Yeah. Yeah. I also finished uh, Legion, which had chapter 19, and um, I don't have much to say about most of it. The one thing I do have to say, as will shock no one listening, is that I think they made a very interesting choice to commit to David as a villain. Not in the, oh, it's really you in the future who's ending the world that Future Sid was trying to stop. or you know, Not that thing that a lot of people figured out was coming right away. Um, they didn't play it as a reveal either, so that's not like that's a disappointing thing. It's more, it feels appropriate. But what they did do is have David respond to what went down by uh, mind-whammying Sid, because um, she came to then to confront him, never questioning what was going on in the previous episode, which is very out of character and I think, frankly, pretty lazy writing. Um, but they wanted to push to the conflict that we see in this episode, so that's why they did that. And when Sid comes to confront and uh, take down David, he uh, defeats her, knocks her out, whatever, puts the whammy on her, and then tries to go back to normal, which includes having sex with her. And she, when she, when they figure this out, when the Carries figure this out, they tell Sid, and David 
ends up on trial. He thinks he's there to testify for Farouk's trial, but it's his trial as uh, being a villain and being uh, a threat. They they try to charge him with future crimes. Um, his reaction to that, of course, is very understandable and appropriate. But then what's great about this is that they have said very clearly, just go right to me, you drugged me and had sex with me. There's nothing he can say to that. That's what that is. And so many, it's rape. He's a rapist. That's, mm. and they, they keep pulling to this um, idea that where he's saying, I'm a good person. I deserve love. I'm a good person. I deserve love. Um, and I think that that actually is a really powerful and interesting way to go for the show. If they commit to it, the idea of, yes, you are, the good person who deserves love, but you can't take away someone else's agency to achieve that. And and so showing him as this very vulnerable and hurt and attacked person in that moment and the way, the delivery of that line, um, I think is actually really interesting instead of just keep making him pivot to, oh, he's a monster or you're all petty humans. It doesn't matter. I'm a god. They they go very relatable with that. And I think that if as long as they stay fully committed to, yes, and you're also a rapist, um, there could be a lot that they explore in the next season that could be really powerful. I don't know that they will. Um, I don't think making your main character you know, the protagonist of the first two seasons of your show, a rapist who's now probably going to go on a genocidal spree. I don't know if they can pull that off and have the show still work. Um, But we will see. Uh, It's certainly a choice, a capital C choice, and I appreciate that in a show like this. Um, Yeah, as others have said, I'm not confident that they will stick this, stick the landings, that they will, that they can recover from this in season three. But I appreciate if you're going to do this, calling it what it is, because too many shows want to get precious about their bad boy or bad girl, in the case of Willow and Tara, um, heroines, memory, like wiping their characters' memories so that they can pretend everything's okay. And... Uh, if you're going to go there with your character, you have to acknowledge that that's what you've done. And that's what they did here. So, yeah. Do you have any thoughts on this? I, I Based on what I've, like, read, you sound very generous compared to a lot of other people. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I was, I, I, I mean, on one level, I was feeling very smug about the fact that I gave up on this show um, in season one based on what I was seeing about the finale. Um, but on the other hand, like a number of people were really upset and really frustrated and felt really sort of betrayed by what they were doing here, um, which is sort of a double-edged sword in which the a Holly doesn't owe anyone anything, even if he should be aware of sort of the environment in which he's writing and creating stuff, but B, it's also one of those things of this is a show that very much revels in destroying and upending expectations and what you think is real on just even on both a narrative and now a meta narrative sort of level. And so, um, again, so on this hand, it feels part and parcel of the type of show that you were engaging in, but just not in a way that you necessarily wanted to engage it. 
On the other hand, it's a lot to ask. And based on what you've said, it's also really difficult to make that stick and land in a way that doesn't feel like you've upended the show or that this sudden idea of like, oh, no, 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 Sid's been the protagonist the whole time. And I'm really compelled by this idea of what a supervillain might be. And it's just like, oh, shut up, Noah. Mm-hmm. And so I think that there's a weird sort of meta con- conversation to be had about what expectations for a show like this are in which the narrative is inherently very unreliable by design. But at the same time, that makes me really nervous about any potential ability to handle this in any sort of nuanced way. Well, yeah, and how do you come back from that if you want to right. keep your character? How do you how do you try to make this character rounded? You know, without saying it's okay if you've raped people, like you know, like it's yeah. How does maybe Sid work with him anymore? Ever? How does anyone? How yeah. how do you expect the audience to care about or invest in this character anymore at this point? So, like, it's if you think you're watching your show with your your hero, your your um, troubled and struggling with mental mental illness hero, and then you turn him into the purple man. <laughs> You know, like, you're like, ah, he was the purple man all along. Um, it doesn't, just, just go watch Jessica Jones, everybody. Just go watch yeah. season one of Jessica Jones. Anyways, um, yeah, we'll see. We will see. Uh, well, I, you'll see. I won't. You won't but see. You will. <laughs> yeah. I, I, like I said, if they manage to do something interesting with this, then, then that's great. I think there is potential for something. I just don't know if they'll be able to do it. And they, they completely, again, they completely underserve several of the characters, uh, they don't seem interested at all. Like, Gene Smart criminally wasted this season. That's There's... not okay. No, it's really not. And they do this complete about-face turn with her in the last handful of episodes. In order to... You know, they were very much trying to... They decided where they wanted the season to end. And then they did other things to get us there. And uh, that's always a frustrating thing for me. Um, but yeah. So not that interested in most of the Legion finale. Obviously wanted to comment on that one part of it. I have caught up on the first two of Cloak and Dagger, but I have not seen the third yet, Stained Glass. Um, we, you know, we heard from one of our listeners about this, and uh, th- that was that was Vince who wanted to know what, what we thought about the second and third episode because uh, he's not he's uh, he's over them being teenagers, and he said he didn't buy Tyrone pulling the trigger. Um, it's and he thinks it's moving too slowly, but he's going to keep watching because, of course, he's overseas. He can actually watch this one live with us because it's on Amazon Prime. So he's very excited that he can still <laughs> actually watch a show at the same time as like Twitter. <laughs> so, what did you think of episode three? And what, hopefully, is this? Do you think Vince is going to be more on board? I don't think Vince is going to be. I I feel like he sh- Vince. I do feel like you should be a little bit more on board after episode three. In part because episode three um, has um, Tandy and um, Tyrone meet at the end of the episode. Um, After each of them sort of experiences a particular sort of memory slash trauma that the other one has experienced. Um... And it's very good. Like, the representation of both of them, but particularly Tandy's, I think is really well done. Um, The sort of looping nature of these traumas that 
each of the other characters' experiences as they sort of navigate and encourage that char- the character experience the trauma to move on, I think is really good. And this gets back to what I was sort of talking about in the first episode of when you and I discussed it, of like how very character-driven this show is. Um, and I feel like that that continues here in Stained Glass, which I really, really like. Like, I feel like if you're not sold on the show by Stained Glass, then you should probably just stop. And I'm saying this without having watched, like, episode four, which is also available for critics. I think, like, the first four or five episodes are available. But I'm trying to, like, watch a week um, Mm -hmm. with this so that you and I can discuss and I don't confuse them. Um, But... Yeah, I'm really excited to hear what you think about Stained Glass uh, when you get a chance to watch it. But what did you think about um, episode two and how really lovely and, well, I thought it was really lovely and just very comic booky, but not in a bad way of their introduction of this detective, um, female detective um, who is investigating uh, Tandy's would have been rapist. And how that sort of proceeded um, throughout the course of episode two. I thought that worked well. I liked the second episode. I liked what we the conflicts we were seeing from uh, in both of their you know stories and um, the 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 wedding. I thought was a you know and that as a con worked well and was an interesting way to 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 put pressure on Tandy. Um, it's the old. I wonder if she's going to leave town. I just it's a TV show. She's not going to leave town. They're filming in New Orleans. She's not going to leave town. Um, but uh, that was interesting. Uh, to, to, I did not expect to see that end where it did necessarily. And I certainly did not expect to see... Uh, at the end of the second episode, it seems like um, they're going to f- interact again uh, because of his teleportation to where she is, basically, with the car. Um, so I'm very... like the, It was a good cliffhanger. I'm very excited to watch the third episode once, once it becomes available. Um, but yeah, having... Again, like we said last time, and specifically you said, Noel, last time, uh, having there be distance between those two characters for the beginning of the season, I think is really smart and is working well. And I look forward to watching them get to know each other. Um, and I think we'll, I think we will learn a lot more about both of them based on how they get to know each other. And yeah, I'm looking I forward so to that. Too. Right, and, like, I'll let you know that, like, their initial encounter at the beginning of episode three is very short. Mm-hmm. And as it sort of has to be by design, like you said. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it ends with them coming back together again after these experiences that each of them is, has had related to the, their their counterpart, basically, for want of a better word. And so it's... It's probably one of the most comic book sort of adaptations of a show I think I've seen in a while. But in, again, in really good ways. Like the whole detective thing that plays out in episode two I think is really good because we don't hear her talk at all until she arrests uh, Tandy's partner. Mm -hmm. And that's such a comic book sort of, especially like I kept thinking of like Matt Fraction Mm -hmm. um, would do something like that within a superhero comic of like, here's the detective that's hunting these people. And we're just going to learn about them through sheer efficiency of they put A, B to C, D 
and they got to they got to E, which is arresting this guy. Mm-hmm. And I really like how that plays out. I think it's again very sort of quiet panel art driven sort of stuff. And then that continues, I think, in episode three with the respective sort of vision trauma sequences that happen, which again feel very sort of comic booky in their execution, in the fact that they convey just enough emotion but don't feel necessarily like too highbrow or prestige or quality. Mm-hmm. And I like that about the show is that it just it wears all of its sort of comic book influences on its sleeve without necessarily feeling like that. And so this gets to like one of Vince's sort of criticism of them being teens, but I think that actually really enhances a lot of what the show's doing Um, by allowing emotions within flux um, as teenagers, as hormones, et cetera, et cetera, allows a lot of this stuff to feel more heightened. The awakening of powers as teenagers is just, part bread and butter sort of comic book stuff uh which the show executes in a way that i think is legitimately better than what runaways does because runaways just drags things out way too quickly and i may be eating my words in like two more episodes depending Mm -hmm. on what cloak and dagger does but i'm feeling really confident uh, about episode four yeah well that's the thing is these comic book shows, so I think so often, and this is what we've talked about. We've talked about this with Lost and Fringe, and like so many, um, so many shows. When when there are, there's a big hit show, and and producers and creators want to be the next fill in the blank, they pick the wrong thing to be inspired by from that. So comics are huge, and co- they're huge in, in how we sh- our current pop culture is shaped, and, and it's a huge influence. But a lot of these comic book shows, it feels like they are not taking the right lessons from why people like comic books. And uh, whereas, I, you know, I would say the thing you could easily point to is, like, the MCU, Marvel Cinematic Universe, is mostly getting right, especially with their crossover stuff, what people like about comic books. Um, and... The, and it feels like Cloak and Dagger is getting it right. So it's a comic book show. If it feels like a comic book, that's a good thing yeah. as long as it's also feel it's also a TV show. It also yeah. works as a TV show. And I think yes. they're doing a good job of both. Yeah, I think so, too. I think so, too. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, our last show for our week in comedy, reality, and genre, which I realized I did not mention at the beginning of this segment. Uh, but our last show is Reverie. No more Mr. Nice Guy. I am all caught up on Reverie. And uh, I, in such a full week of TV for me this week, because I was catching up on so many things, this one really sifted down for sure. me. I was more excited about it after the first the first episode than the second or third. But I will say that I like that they are not holding out longer to get to the Oh, is everything really a dream? Is is, is Mara in the rever- like? Because obviously that's not what it's going to be because that's not sustainable for this kind of a show. But I like that they're getting that out of the way. More on that when we get to our weekend drama and elementary. But uh, I like that they're getting that out of the way. It appears in episode four. Uh, how how is Reverie holding up for you? I think it's doing okay. Um, I'm. I'm glad that this is sort of what episode four is going to be about is this mm-hmm. um, because uh, one of the things that I was worried about with it is that 
getting people out of the reverie was always going to be sort of a weird situation of like, don't you care about your actual health sort of thing? Um, and that always feels like a, and particularly in episode two, that was one of the things where it's just like, you're going to die if you stay here. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can only do that so often. So I'm glad that we're going to hopefully pivot to this and then we'll figure out what's going on a little bit more. Um, mostly with Mr. Nice Guy, I'm just, I'm between this and a couple of other guest spots and then a short run on Designated Survivor. I just really want Ashley um, Zuck, Zuckerman, Zuckberg. Uh, he was the he was one of the co leads in Manhattan just to keep ah, getting yes. better work because <laughs> uh, he deserves it. Um, and he's really good in one particular scene in this episode, um, which is like the diner scene after he's mm-hmm. been beaten up by the uh, Mad Max Fury Road version of his real life assailant. But yeah, it's it's fine, but it's also there's not an I'm I'm hoping for more there there to start showing up basically. And yeah. um especially when like the reverie worlds aren't as they don't have the budget to make them really cool or fun. Mm-hmm. So the character drama needs to like step up basically, and that hasn't quite happened yet in three episodes. So I'm hoping episode 4 allows for a good pivot. Yeah, there is so much that they could do with this premise, and I think we were both hoping that they would start to show that potential more by now. Um, but you can also see the pieces of like, like this third episode is there so that we can learn. Oh, the referee gives you things that you think you, that it thinks you need that you yeah. haven't thought of. Like, the, like you can see them building the world, um, going step by step with it, so that when they you, know, you can tell that they probably have some bigger plans for later in the episode. But again, in this day and age with with uh, peak TV and everything, like. You can't assume you're going to get five, six, seven episodes uh, where people will stick with you until then. So, but I'm certainly going to watch episode four and maybe we'll have more to say after that. Hopefully, yeah. Well, what wins your week in comedy, reality, and genre, sir? Um, I mean, Sense8, but like besides Sense8. Yeah, besides Sense8. Um, I think... I think Cloak and Dagger, yeah, it's Cloak and Dagger for me uh, this week um, for reasons that we can discuss a little bit more next week. Uh, but mm. what about you? Uh, do you want to watch the Tony Awards? Yeah, Tony Awards. <laughs> I wish I had seen the whole thing, but still, I'm still definitely giving it to the Tony Awards. Now we'll take a break, listen to a little music, and come back with our weekend drama. in drama we're going to talk about claws which had its season premiere shook uh the bold type premiere feminist army and rose colored glasses um the diet land third episode but we'll also talk a bit about the premiere um this this episode this week was why not 
um, and but they had the premiere last week. I'll talk a little bit about Pose, uh, the first episode, and second episode, Access, which was the episode for this week. And then we have Elementary, Sober Companions, and Queen Sugar. I'm so glad I'm caught up. Uh, <laughs> no Haven in My Shadow. So first up is Claws and Shook. And I gotta be honest, Noel, I don't remember like half of this stuff that happened. And I watched this today. Um, just because it's so crazy, all these different things that are happening. I'm not sure if I'm on board yet. It's like they took the excess of season one and went like, no, up another level. Uh, it, I'm not confident that it works as well, but I appreciate the commitment, I think. I think it works really well. Um, okay. I'm really, I'm excited about the fact that, and I mentioned this to a friend of the show, Corey Barker, who I don't think watch, watches Claws, but I was watching it and I ta- mentioned this to him. I really like the idea of uh, Uncle Daddy basically becoming a disgruntled middle management lieutenant, basically, within this operation, which is a very good look for Dean Norris to play. And it's, and I like that the show just went, well, we still need someone really big and outlandish. So our new big bad played by um, uh, Frankie... Franca uh, Potente, yeah. Yeah, thank you. Franca Potente, who's just big and outlandish and crazy, but also really compelling in a way that Uncle Daddy never really managed to achieve on like sort of a writing level, not mm-hmm. for one of Dean Norris's attempts. Um, that this really works, and I like that the whole thing pivots on this idea of her recognizing uh, Desna's capabilities and the fact that, oh, no, you're the one that should be in charge. You're the queen here. We need to do something about that. And while this is also very much a sort of way to ingratiate Desna into this criminal empire that um, Poente's character is looking to build... It's also really good because it validates what Desno experienced last season of like being put upon, not being listened to. And now we've got someone admittedly a sociopath listening to her. <laughs> and so the dynamics of that, that shift, I think is really, I, th- I find that really good and really interesting. I don't like, a, I don't find a forced marriage really good and interesting, but it's one of those escalation things that I'm wary of. But I think the rest of the episode overall works really well so i'm really excited to be back in this ridiculous heightened world um for a little while um even if i'm not necessarily keen on a forced marriage but also that whole the whole cutting of that marriage sequence was really good so Mm -hmm. i'm sort of willing to roll with it just on an aesthetic level fair enough yeah i'll give you that the editing like you said was terrific um the trouble i'm having with this with this character in this development is I believed the, the, the other sister as having this intricate network and all this support and strength. And then this character just walks in and, um, let's say usurps in case somebody's behind usurps her and okay. That just, that just goes. That's okay. There's no consequences. And like, and so then my reaction is, okay, well, obviously this, person is uh trouble why doesn't roller or somebody just kill her Mm -hmm. like i don't get a sense that she has a loyal gang of of supporters or lieutenants like if she did she wouldn't be looking to go so buddy buddy with desna immediately um that's fair like so i just i don't buy why why she isn't just 
Why doesn't someone just kill her? Why doesn't one of the thugs or like the baddies, like that, like the the henchmen, right, that we saw last season? Why why are they mm-hmm. all of a sudden following her? Do they have other family ties? Like you could have easily thrown in a line or two about that in, in the dialogue to to give weight and support to why this character is Salta, like there and able to to really make those choices. Sorry, what? I think her name's Zalta. Something Zalta. Like that. Okay, uh, the 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 Georgian answer to Shell uh, Sandberg. Sarah, yes, Shell Sandberg. Thank you. Um, but yes, no. It, there's a lot to like here. I would have liked more Polly. What we get with Polly is very good, though. <sighs> um, I, and we'll that see. whole dance training sequence. Mm-hmm. So good. Um, <laughs> it's so good, and I really like that the show is basically just like we're going to let Carrie Preston be Carrie Preston. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I also like that Dozen is wearing Rebecca Sugar's jacket. And I say that because I uh, Rebecca Sugar has that same uh, black like bomber jacket with the uh, hand and the, the rose and the, the mm-hmm. nails and everything. Um, and she wore that to Comic-Con a couple years ago when, we, when they did their big musical Mr. Greg amazing panel that, that, I, that I got to go to. And so I just assumed that that was a jacket that, that she had had made or something. I didn't realize it was actually like clearly it's like a – Fashion, I don't, I don't, I don't know fashion listeners. I know only what Tom and Lorenzo teach me <laughs> through their website. <laughs> um, anyways, so, so I was like, oh, that's Rebecca Shaker's jacket. She didn't design it or make it or sew it because she's not a designer or sewer or tailor or whatever. Um, but that's my association. So it made me happy. Also making me happy this week was The Bold Type, which came back for season two with Feminist Army and Rose Colored Glasses. We got some big shakeups pretty pretty quickly here. And uh, how happy are you, Noel, that they just wasted no time to be like, yeah, no, this, uh, this new job thing is a bad idea. We're not going to do this. Well, I feel like I remember discussing this very point we, at, at the end the of last season. season we're like, we said, how many episodes? <laughs> yeah, it was just like, all right, so how long are you actually going to commit to this? And the answer was two episodes. You mm-hmm. didn't even really commit to it. Uh, she does one story and then she's out. And it's just like, oh, okay. I mean, I sort of wanted to see how she fit into this culture a bit more than this, but it's oh, no, it's one episode. Um, But I did like the fact that it called her out on the fact that she just makes everything literally about her. Um, Even, like, the beginning of that article she's writing is about her. And I get that this is sort of a type of journalism that is present within these magazines and everything, but it's also just aggressively too much sometimes. And so the fact that she's sort of fired for representing herself and not insight, I think is hopefully something of a wake up call. But it's also the fact that her voice is valued by Scarlet and that kind of a thing, which is why she kept doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see how that goes. Um, I think that these two episodes are generally really solid. Um, I don't feel like there's a huge sort of any hiccups between the showrunner shift here. Um uh, apart from the fact that we've um, made what's his name much better looking, <laughs> he's yeah. gone from he's gone from his cardigan look of retired, full tenured English professor mm-hmm. to assistant professor with a beard and patches on his jacket. <laughs> <laughs> Good times. Um, 
the highlight for me with this stuff it was the Kadena stuff, which I thought was terrific. Mm-hmm. Really appreciated that. Um, I liked, you know, I thought that the, some of the the discussion with Kat trying to decide if she's going to include um, the uh, the the label of black or biracial or just excluded entirely from her bio at the website was a good conversation, but I think it could have been done better. I think it wasn't as interesting or as well handled. I felt very kind of paint by numbers uh, to the point where when I was watching, I didn't have a sense of where we were in the episode because it felt like she had come to a conclusion and then there were then several more scenes about it. And I I don't know, I hope hopefully the show will continue to explore that character's racial identity and and self-identity and how she wants to see herself and present herself to the world and think about that. I think it's a great topic for the show. Um, but I'm hoping with a little, there'll be a little bit more nuance and, um, uh, yeah, just a little bit more detail, I guess, and not and not just the broad strokes we have here, uh, which is better than nothing, but still. Uh, what did you think of the Sutton stuff? What did you think of the Kadena stuff? I like the Kadena stuff um, a lot, and I, I enjoyed sort of how the sexual aspect was played largely for, like, a connection between two people, but also later for laughs of, we all went to the wrong coffee chain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so I liked how all of that played out, and I liked the sort of um, acknowledgments of it, even though... Yeah, even though it, I wanted, like, sort of maybe more from it than what we got, but I also... There's a lot of different, like, storylines that they want to cover with Kat. Um, I think your point is really well taken regarding the very broad strokes that they do regarding this. And also the fact that uh, it's a dude trying to make her awaken to her, like, particular identity. And that's just like, uh, that's not a great look. Mm-hmm. And while there's a level of acknowledgement on that in the show's part, it still validates him in the end, which makes me a little iffy. If, like, Adina had been the one to be like, this is maybe how you should think about it much more forcefully than she was as opposed to being Andrew um, I think that's his name. Pretty sure that's his name. Um, do it, then I think it would have played a little bit better for me. Um, the Sutton stuff is fine. I'm glad that we sort of had a resolution to the um, the assistance gossiping and the slut shaming sort of stuff. Um, that I was just like, this is going to get very tired very quickly, and I was very glad that they resolved it to a degree by the end of the second episode. But I also like their acknowledgement of we're going to objectify these hot dudes <laughs> who are good guys, and it's just like that. That is a little weird, and I'm glad we're acknowledging this. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, I, I, I like that, that it's not a sense of um, that. There's they don't fall into the trap. Or what feels to me at least like a trap, and your model may vary, of, um, well, we don't want to objectify women, so therefore the objectification of men and women is the same. And so it's not not the same. Um, There's centuries and millennia of oppression and, you know, patriarchy make it not the same. Um, So, you know, yes, it's a little bit of having your cake and eating it, but it's also, I think, uh, a good... uh, a good, a good, you know, a worthy thing to include in there and still have some fun with. So I thought that they did a good job with that. Um, it is Alex. Alex, that's that's right. It is that Alex. Is not, it's not Andrew. It's Alex. Yes. Yes. I knew it was an A. Though, yeah. <laughs> so I deserve a little like half credit. <laughs> and of course, Jacqueline is is awesome. Oh, 
God, she's she so good. Yep. She's so good. <laughs> yep. Yeah, more more Malor Harden all the time, please. Any other thoughts on Bolt Type or is it time for Dietland? No, it's time for Dietland. Uh, so tell me how you're feeling about Dietland. Um, because I'm really liking it, but I'm also like have like the hesitancy issues with it, but they're all balanced out by the fact that I think a lot of the performances are really good. Yeah, there's a lot of characters that I am invested in, that I am oh, very right. interested yeah. in, and we're only three episodes in, and that's a very good sign. Um, I don't know if the show is going to like become something or just devolve into being a total mess, uh, but it's very interesting, and it's it's certainly, I, I, I'm engaged and I'm in for now. This might easily turn into a... Uh, unreal situation yes. where they have lots of ideas and they don't actually know what to do with it and the Marnie and Oxygen connection is not one I'm overlooking there because of course she was mm-hmm. involved in the first season of Unreal um, but not the later seasons uh, so so we'll see I haven't seen enough Girlfriend's Guide to Divorce to make larger Marnie and Oxen parallels of course listeners uh, Dietland is a book that was adapted for TV by Marnie Knox and she's the executive producer of, the, of this one as well it's it's over on AMC and it is it's doing all sorts of different stuff but I am so invested in Plum I am so invested in both the dudes at the coffee shop and I'm ecstatic to see Tamara Tooney as the whatever I have no idea what the deal is and the closet there makeup closet there that's just crazy and so over the top um, but also restrained in the performance. Like, I I mean, I have no idea what's going on there. And Robin Weigert, oh, man, she's wonderful as this other figure. And she could be uh, easily just this, like, a Big Little Lies therapist kind of model. Or she could be psycho. Like, and you know Weigert can do either way. And she'll be wonderful if, like, that character winds up, like, especially with this notion of, of she wants plum to go off of her antidepressants and you don't it could be just that this particular antidepressant is not a good call because it's overly strong it's over prescribed and or it could be that she's someone who thinks that all antidepressants are bad which makes her a nut job and uh not good so like it could go either way and weigert is gonna nail the performance whichever way it goes and what we've seen so far is perfectly appropriate for either way that character can go. And so I am so down for the ridiculousness of this and Benny, the tiger coming out of the TV and the rash that wasn't really there. That was just in her head and like, Oh, and this is also another show where I am very invested in the character's finances. Cause when plum orders that round of food and it costs $147, I remember that it costs $147. And I was like, wait, but you didn't have 170 on your card. So why are you like, I'm very invested in this. And yes, it could all easily just collapse like a flan in the cupboard and just become a shit show. But for now, I am on board. That was a long way of me saying yes. So what do you think, Noel? I, I just, I agree with everything that you just said. Like, I feel like they've introduced a number of threads that are just sort of dangling. And I want them to tie a little bit more together than they currently are. Um as much as I think a lot of, like, the Jennifer stuff is really good at sort of background world building, um, there's, it still feels more thematic than necessarily narrative, which is fine to a certain extent, but it's also so present and feels so tangentially connected to what's happening in the beauty closet um, that I need something to, like, kind of 
a, a stronger connection, basically, just to be established, and then I'll be fine. Um, but I think that everything else more than makes up for, like, the little dangling threads that I'm sort of, like, pulling at, because I need something to pull out. Because, like you said, the sort of crazy use of animation, I think, is really, really good. Um, the performances, I think, are just really fabulous. Um it's so nice to see Juliana Margulies sort of unhinged mm-hmm. um, that it's such a delight really to see that. And um, I'm really enjoying that aspect of the show. It's basically, like you said, I'm just deeply invested in a number of these people already. And the fact that it's just, I was what my person and I watched like the first three episodes, basically back to back to back. Uh, we took like a little break between episodes two and three. And when we watched episode three, we we're just like, is the detective the tiger? <laughs> and he is. The, the, she's imagining the tiger as played by the detective. And it's just like, this is very good. This is this is very good. But I do agree with you that this could very well collapse under its own eccentricities, under its own stylistic choices, under its own narrative choices. Capital Girlfriend, Q, quirky. Yeah, and like Girlfriend's Guide to Divorce isn't, wasn't, I should say, um, up to the point where I was watching, which I think was like through season two, maybe a little bit into season three, wasn't juggling this many sort of stylistic and tonal type of things. Um, so it was a lot more straightforward. And I really liked Girlfriend's Guide to Divorce, but I also just got kind of tired of it after a little while, which is why I didn't stick with it. Um, but I think that there's still really good things happening within Dietland. And I'm eager to see how things continue to escalate. And I like sort of a number of different um, inversions that they play, particularly like with the detective and his wife in that she's not angry or disgruntled at him. He's a good father. and But she's upset that he's putting his job in jeopardy by wearing his wedding band around his neck. And because she's like, these women aren't going to trust you, damn it. And it's just <laughs> like, I really sort of like that. It's just like, I love you. I understand that you need to do these things. But why aren't you doing this one thing? And he's just like, but it's important to me. And it's just like, this is very good. This is this is the sort of like slide subversion type stuff that the show was already doing on a number of levels. But then extending it to this very sort of ancillary character, I think, works really, really well. It also gives us just the right amount of context and at the right time for that character. Yes. You know, yeah. like it was just like, oh, OK, that explains everything. And we're super at least I'm super on board with that character. Like, oh, dreamy detective guy isn't a creep who's just using her. And exploiting her, um, he's doing that, but it's the he's and he's flirting with her somewhat as part of his job, but also ha- you really believe he has a genuine affinity for that character. And uh, you know, if he wasn't married with kids, then you know there might be some you know connection, larger romantic connection there. Um, and so, yeah, it's just I, I really I really appreciate when it's it's very it's very canny. Um, character writing of when yeah. to reveal that it is it really really is because it's just like one of the really kind of pleasures of the show is watching these men sort of be into plum mm-hmm. um and then plum just kind of brush it off or be into them but also recognize the fact that based on like life and how she views herself but also how like she knows society views her 
brush it off as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so watching that sort of roller coaster is a really good emotional thing and helps us invest in Plum, but also these other characters, which works really well. Uh, so my question for you is how much of a relationship are we supposed to assume that is happening between Kitty and that television producer? Because that tele- the television reporter, I should say, yeah. uh, anchor is in her in, is into her house in a button down and I just looked at my person and went are we supposed to assume <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think they um, yeah there's we don't know and they yeah. they're playing with us with that I think that's the answer and we will yeah. <laughs> find out more when we find out more but I think they're being intentionally coy about it is my yeah. answer yeah, I do think that they're being coy about it, but I'm I'm already shipping it. So <laughs> there you go, there you yeah. go. That's all that matters. It doesn't matter what actual relationship they are. It matters can you ship it? And the answer for us obviously is yes. Especially for me, I'm surprised that you're already on board. But hey, you know what? If you can ship it, I definitely can ship it. So there we go. Um, yeah, so we're gonna be watching. We'll see what happens. I look forward to hopefully watching them not fall off the rails. But even if they do, I'm sure it'll be exciting along the way. Yeah. Um, so more Dietland as we continue. I also caught up with Pose, the first two episodes. Um, I really like what I've been seeing so far. I particularly am enjoying the performances of, of MJ Rodriguez, who's the lead, and Billy Porter, who is the, the ball MC. The, I know very little about the world of Pose, which is, you know, set in the, the ball world, the ball scene of the 80s. Uh, in New York, uh, centering on transgender women and uh, this character of Blanca who uh, goes on on her own to make her own house. And she's uh, adopted, you know, some new like children into the house of Evangelista, which is her house. Um, I know very little about this world, and yet there's still elements of this that feel um, a bit redundant to me, uh, just because they are so, like, certain... Things that have been, you know, I mean, obviously I've seen Paris is Burning and as a, you know, we talk about Drag Race all the time on this podcast as big fans of Drag Race. There's certain things that are clearly d- derived from the ball world that was documented in Paris is Burning and that therefore has, has carried through, through RuPaul's adoption of those terms and the, the that culture into Drag Race that it almost feels a bit uh, repetitive here. But I don't know anything. I don't know enough of the history to know if that's accurate or if it. No, this is just an honest and accurate depiction of this world in this time. So I I was looking for like some write ups about that, and I had trouble finding any listeners. If you know of any pieces about this topic, please point them my way. Point me their way, and um, I you know I look forward to reading up more about it. I like what we're getting so far. Um, and I, the performances have been good. The topics are interesting. The characters I'm invested in so far. Um, I don't really care about any of the white characters. So, yeah, I mean, Evan Peterson Meh, is white great. white people. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, like, having the Vanderbeek character, I mean, he's, he's doing a good job. But he does he have to work at Trump Tower? I mean, but, but what am I saying? Of course he does. Of course he has to work for Trump because this is a Ryan Murphy show. So, um I'm sort of like going, yeah, okay, whatever, through those scenes. Um, hopefully they will come to more. But I'm, you know, I'm, I'm watching for, for MJ Rodriguez. I'm watching for India Moore, who plays Angel. Um, and I'm watching for Ryan Jamal Swain, who plays Damon. And uh, I'm hopeful that it will come to, like, it, it, it'll start building towards 
other things. I if, if it just remains like a character study of these people, I'm still on board. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I I would like to know some more specifics about the world because there's so much that they're they're clearly teaching the audience. But then there's other things like how often do they have balls? Is it a regular like every week? Is it every other week? Is it a monthly thing? Like I like there's some stuff like that that I would like to have a better sense of other than just the constant like the glamour shots of people at the balls. I don't think they also are doing a good enough job of showing when like cuz they'll have a porter as the MC uh read to <laughs> read them to filth <laughs> for not being as good as you know uh Angel and sorry not Angel uh, Blanca and her former mother uh her her, her, her uh, you know uh, in the house of abundance Electra abundance the house of abundance um and it's clear that that's the real competition between those two and and Porter reads everyone else to filth but I don't think they could do a good enough showing a good enough job of showing why because they want everyone to be glamorous um, so I don't think you get to kind of have it both ways. So, um, there's some things like that that I would like to see them adjust, but I certainly am interested and I've been enjoying it so far. Okay, cool. Um, a lot of the reason I haven't caught up on this is to a certain degree, the Ryan Murphy of all, and I always mm-hmm. get really nervous about Ryan Murphy shows. Um, <laughs> but the other aspect of it just being, I had a lot of stuff to catch up on and yeah. You when you told me that the second episode was already ninety minutes, I just went. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, admittedly, I mean, we watched a two and a half hour Sense Eight finale, mm-hmm. but that's Sense Eight, and we love it so much. Um, yeah, we don't love Pose yet. You know, like we we haven't watched two seasons of Pose and then gone like, yes, of course, just keep going as long as you can in your finale. Um, more on that in a bit. But yeah, no, I, I I hear what you're saying. It's it's a lot to ask for a. Is it, I don't know if it's going to be that every week. Um, if it's, if it's FX, so they just let people do whatever they want. And it's just like, I get it and I appreciate that. But at the same time, I need a, I need a little bit of the constraint because limitations can sometimes breed creativity, everyone. <laughs> Often, their shows do better with some limitations. That's true. Um, anyways, uh, yeah, well, I'll chime in with more thoughts on Pose. Yeah, let me uh, know. When... You know, as as it develops, but you know, like like I said, liking what, what I'm seeing so far. Um, on the fence about a lot of uh, the season of Elementary, other than the fabulous fashion choices. But we have here uh, Sober Companions, and this is episode seven. Uh, I'm a little surprised we're already at episode seven, but also yeah. uh, very happy that they pulled the trigger with the serial killer friend guy and had Sherlock immediately figure it out which I did not expect and I was so grateful for uh what did you think about this episode um I like this episode overall um in part because what it does well is what it did really well sort of way back in season one which is all right we've got our big bad but we're gonna do a procedural sort of approach to that big bad and we're not going to let the big bad win just yet. Um, and we're not going to let Sherlock win just yet. and Or Sherlock and Joan win just yet. So we're going to have it all get figured out, though, much sooner. So, like, this idea of them, like you said, pulling the trigger on this and Sherlock figuring it out, I think, is really, really good. Um, mainly because, like, a lot of the problems that they've had with their season-long sort of big bad slash arcs is that they're just plotting. And they don't have enough narrative things to do with them so yeah so taking desmond harrington off the board basically for 
a little while. Until the um, finale, let's be honest. Yeah, until like probably like midway through the season and then into the finale is really it's really smart frankly because they've they've clearly sort of finally learned a lesson hopefully of oh yeah we just don't have enough material and it's also really hard to sustain that kind of a narrative across an entire season um but also your point about him figuring it out immediately once it's been presented is really good and it'll it keeps Sherlock on a level of, yes, he's Sherlock. He just has certain limitations of, well, he didn't realize it early enough type of thing to stop this from happening. So the tug of war and that representation of the PCS um, is continuing. And I think that's the part that's being played really well. And that that's for me is sort of the ultimate sort of big bad this season is the PCS and how that gets dealt with and how that gets depicted. And so that makes me really excited to see what goes on now that basically you just have to deal with cases of the week for a little while. Plus, um, as I forget who in my Twitter feed mentioned that something bad's going to happen with Joan and her sister and it's going to be bad. It's just going to be real bad. And that's going to be disappointing. On the upside of that though, Kate, like you said, Joan's suits. Just, they're so damn. good. They're so <laughs> good. <laughs> yeah, the other thing that I you know, feel I need to comment on is the very prominent and increasing um, Ill- illegality of their actions. And the show's yes. commentary on that, which feels like it's moving somewhere as a, in a significant way. Yeah. Um, like when Joan was walking around with heroin, I was like, uh, mm-hmm. They've been really foreshadowing things, so I just, um, is this going to be a Joan ends up in getting arrested and then Sherlock um, throws himself on the, the, the fire to, you know, like, throws her out of the way kind of thing. Like, I don't know, but, like, yeah, that is being very heavily foreshadowed and yes. something really bad with that. So, you know, we'll, we'll see. Um, I hope I don't. You know, I don't feel like there's something bad's gonna happen with the sister. I think it's just that question of adoption. Mm-hmm. That's where I'm at with it. But I, you know, mostly I just don't want that to be the case. So yeah, I'm just gonna hope it's not. That'll work, right? Um, but but I have been enjoying what they've been giving Joan. Um, and that apparently in the next episode, it's set like a month later. She looks all fine. So we'll see. Yeah, but, I hope that's uh, not the case. Yeah. <laughs> We'll see. Um, any other thoughts on elementary? Mm-mm, no. Let's move on to Queen Sugar then. No Haven in my shadow. And, um, okay, let's start. There's so many things. Yeah. I feel like I have to first mention, as always, Hollywood and Vi, hashtag relationship goals. They are the oh, best. Oh, they're the best. They're the very best. That's right. You let him buy you a truck because he is no Jimmy Dale, and you know that. But, you know, she needed some time to get there, uh, which I respect. But I think what I – beyond that and the fact that everyone should be watching Queen Sugar, guys, it's so good. It's so, so good. Um, is we got to talk about uh, Kofi Sidibe? S- S- is that his name? we got to talk about Ra because the, the scene that you had alluded to where he gets the DNA results for the test with him, for him, the paternity, the paternity test, test for blue, uh, just like, it was amazing. Mm-hmm. And it was, his performance is amazing. The, the supporting performances from, you know, his sisters on the show was, were, was very good. But what really blew me away 
was the lighting and the camera choices. Because the camera, like, I didn't, I, I tweeted about this. You don't realize, or I hadn't realized, the body posture we always see for Ra on the show until you see that scene. And he's sitting straight, dead center. The light, his, there's no tilt to his chin, up or down, just straight center. And the lighting is such, like, he'd look like a different person. He just, he'd like, the, like, I, it was, it was astonishing to me. And it's the, also the vulnerability of the of the performance and all these other things and the way that the lighting was moving and the camera was just dead center. But where he's always angled, he's always hunched, he's always you know, um, there's always a, a standoffishness to his physicality. And in that scene, to see the camera right up in his face, uh, not a leftover style close up, close up, but almost left uh, leftover style close up, and just. Just no filter, just straight on, just piercing into him. It was, whew, I'm going to be thinking about that one for a while. Yeah, and, and it, it makes up for the fact that this is something that should have been done in season two. Yes, it is. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's it's deeply, deeply powerful. And it's also, as we've moved into like episode four, it's also something that I think works really well with the rest of the season of this concept of paternity, but also like history is becoming much more for much more centered than I feel like it has been. It's something that I think is always around everything that's happening with this family, but given what Charlie's plans are and given Nova's uh, book and Ralph Angel's own sort of recognizing of who he needs to become. Um, that sense of history, I think, and that family history is becoming just so much more prevalent. It's so prevalent in No Haven in My Shadow um, that I'm really excited to see that front and center in this show in a way that I feel like it really has been since, like, season one, which is a silly thing to say when we're only in season three. <laughs> yeah, but this show just does so much, so... yeah. yeah. Yeah, um, I I really like the way that they're setting up and shaping this season so far. Everything that they've been doing with Micah has been terrific too. I'm really excited about what's coming next with his surprise sister. Um, I oh. think they've been handling Davis so well. Like he's like yeah, he's still the same guy. He's absolutely still the same guy, um, but he's also been a good father while also being a it was all while also being a piece of shit rapist too like he's all of these things and the show doesn't try to hide or back away from that um because yeah it, it's i just i again i i really appreciate the writing and the performances here and of course the direction is always fantastic too i i, I appreciate that you're sort of on board with the um secret daughter slash um thing because i'm like oh this is just a justification to keep davis around and i'm just like davis you can just leave at any point or just show up to be sort of a problem um in terms of like but micah wants to do this and now it's just like oh we need a reason to keep you around or because the finances are entangled with queen sugar yeah that's that's also a fair point um so that would have been fine but I'm just, I, I rolled my eyes just a little bit at the secret kid thing. Oh, no, see, but I so buy that for David. No, no, right? that's the thing. Is like I totally buy it from him, but I still roll my eyes. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Um, do you have any favorite developments or, or scenes? I love that bonfire scene. It was gorgeous. The bonfire scene is great. And that's sort of what, like, I mean, really drove home this idea of, like, saying goodbye to Ernest in a, a sort of a way, really saying goodbye and sort of, like, making promises to him. And, but also as a representational way of like moving on in a lot of ways and mission statements for everyone. It um, also just speaks so much to the strength of that performance that we are still so heavily impacted by it in season three. You know, yeah. he was in like one episode, two episodes, but we are, at least I am still so very invested in every time that he is mentioned or, or, or people talk about him, um, like when Remy mentions, you know, her their father was the best farmer I ever saw. Like that still packs a punch because of the strength of that performance. How terrific! And like the the performance, the casting, the use, the editing, the direction, the writing, all of that stuff. Um, that there aren't many shows that could pull that off. No, absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. Um, what was the other thing? Oh, particularly in this episode, because this was something they hinted and danced around a little bit, and now we're just going to go there. And that's <laughs> the Nova and Remy stuff. Yeah, it's better here. It's but better I- here than it was earlier. Yeah, because of like the way that the show was set up. But now, like, it makes like a degree of sense in a way. It made a degree of sense then, but it makes much more sense sort of now. Yeah, and, but it's like, oh, we're we're gonna circle back to this, okay. okay. You know my favorite p- part about it? What? It's not even close. My favorite part about it is not the performances and the writing and the direction, which are all excellent. My favorite part is when you go on Twitter and you you put hashtag Queen Sugar and you see all the different gifts people are tweeting about their reactions to it and and how strongly people are anti. Oh, it's amazing. There's so many. The gift game is strong. People uh, having thoughts about about the the potential pairing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I highly recommend it. Go search that up. Oh, I'll have not, to do that. <laughs> you will not regret it. Um, yeah, I'm also like, when, okay, as soon as Hollywood got that check, I was like, you want to go shopping? You want to buy a diamond ring? Buy her an oven! Yeah. I don't know why a new oven has not been purchased. I have many questions. Buy <laughs> like an industrial oven, and granted, it won't be as pretty in the decor, but that just seems like that makes so much more sense. Yeah. I mean, it's it's difficult just getting by a truck, so... Food truck? I mean, yeah. But a food truck that I think that she can bake in. I loved, yeah. I loved the bitchiness of the church ladies. Oh, like, it's so specific and on point. Yeah. Yeah. As some, yeah. like... How, what can I say? Um, okay, so I grew up in the Catholic church, and I started playing music in church, uh, singing and, and playing violin in church when I was very young. I started in third grade. So uh, I, I started in the choir in third grade and playing in sixth grade. So I have played a lot of services. And fortunately, I had a wonderful, amazing, while I was involved in the music ministry at my church growing up, uh, the, the the group I played with, the organist was Jean, and she, she organized everything. And she was, she, she is, she, you know, when I was working with her, was wonderful and amazing. And the different groups the people there were all, for the most part, wonderful. Um, but even with a group of very nice, kind, thoughtful people at that church, uh, there's still so much fiefdom and so much ridiculousness. And then the the whenever I find a music minister at a church where I'm going and playing at, uh, who's who's 
wonderful. I always thank them from the bottom of my heart because there's so many terrible ones. I've had so many negative, uh, bitchy interactions. Um, with bitching is coming from the other person, not from me, about um, music at churches where they don't know me, where I'm playing. It's like I'm playing at a family member's wedding or a friend's wedding or something where they didn't contract through me. Um, and I feel like the default setting at so many places is this protective and doubting and passive, so passive aggressive. Like, so with, there are a lot of wonderful people involved in, in various faiths of church music and, and different elements of, of, of churches, you know, of different denominations, but there also are a lot of passive aggressive bitchy ones too. So I was appreciating what I was seeing uh, in that subplot. Yeah. Yeah. No, I really enjoy that too, because like you said, it's really specific, but also just immediately recognizable. Um, yeah. So <laughs> yep, yep. Effie, <laughs> you, you can go with your dinner club. You uh, have fun. I'll be taking my tithe with me. Uh, anyways, okay. Um, what wins your week in drama? Um, Dylan and Queen Sugar uh, <laughs> win my week. Uh, what about you? Queen Sugar. It's not yeah. close. I like Dylan is great. Bold, bold type is great. I really enjoyed Claws. I really enjoyed Pose. But it's Queen, it's Queen Sugar. And I got to watch four episodes this week. It's very nice. Y'all need to be watching. I know it's on Oprah Winfrey Network. I know it's on OWN. You might be surprised. You likely have that channel. Find that yeah. channel and watch it. Yeah, I think it's, like, available, like... I mean, my mom has a really basic cable package, and it's on her basic cable package. Um, admittedly, she's also in, like, Atlanta. Um, mm-hmm. Well, the Atlanta metro area. So that may be why it's on the basic cable package. But you, you're... It's probably available to you. Yeah. Seek it out. It's just probably just buried in your listing somewhere. Yeah. Do we know anybody on Twitter? Any of the TV critics we know? Do we know anyone who's actually watching Queen Sugar? Off the top of my head, I can't think of anyone. No. I can't think of one. Yeah. And, and if they're watching it, they're not sad. talking about it. So. And even in previous years, I mean, in previous yeah. seasons, too. Yeah, like, no, because I remember, like, our discussion around, like, Variety last year doing, like, a best shows of the year so far sort of thing. And it's just like, Queen Sugar was not on there and it was airing at that time. And it's just like, yeah. uh, this is this is not great. And a couple of the shows you're listening are not good shows either. Yeah, well, and, and just seeing that every, seeing different lists, we're getting, coming up to June, July, we'll start seeing best of the year so far lists. And not even seeing Queen Sugar listed in the shows, you know, I just haven't had a chance to catch up with. I'm sorry, I haven't, like, not even it being on that level of radar with the very, like, mostly white critics that, mm-hmm. that you know, that dominate, seem to dominate the conversation. Um, so, like, it's on the, it's absolutely something that critics of color are talking about more. But white critics, I mean, get off your asses. The show's amazing. Anyways. We know it's amazing, even if they don't. Um, Okay, now we will take a break and listen to uh, probably a trailer here for and and some music, and come back with our deep dive, loving farewell to the Sense Eight finale. We'll be back right after this. What is human? An ability to reason, to imagine, to love or grieve. Who is standing here? Who am I? Who am I? Do you mean who I love? Who I love? Do you mean where I'm from? I was taught there's something wrong with someone like me. If so, we are more human than any human ever will be. I'm not just a me. 
I'm also a we. I did not think I would survive prison. The truth is, we didn't. Tell me just what in the hell is going on here? This is war. This is it. This is the end. And possibility is still just a kiss away from reality. We're getting close to the chairman. Kalsik joined us ever by Noel Kirkpatrick and Noel. It is time. It is time to talk about the Sense8 finale, and I'm so excited. Um, I have been just a shrinking violet with my thoughts about this finale for the past several weeks. Um, so let's start with you. What did you think about this finale, and did it live up to you know your relationship with the rest of the show? Uh yes and no. Um, I think it's really fun. I think it's really enjoyable. Um, and it's execution of a lot of stuff I think is really great, but it's also just complete and utter nonsense. <laughs> and yes, there's, <laughs> there's so much just jump from exposition to exposition to exposition of that. It, I told two people that it reminded me of the dollhouse finale in a lot of ways of like, oh shit, we had like eight seasons planned and now we're going to cram it all into the finale. And it's just like, here are like eight reveals for you. And it's just like, oh, well, at least you guys blew up a helicopter. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of where I landed with it is like, I, I, it's so much fun and it's really enjoyable. But then you're just like desperately going, this was like a season and a half worth of material crammed into two and a half hours. And sometimes it shows and it occasionally sucks me out of the experience of watching it. But when I'm when I was neck deep in having a literal carpool karaoke or <laughs> um it's basically basically any like nitpicks I have are basically negated by the wedding slash the orgy. Mm-hmm. And and so yeah, it's one of those things where I really enjoyed it, but then I was just like, this is a victim of circumstance. And so it's it's a weird, it's a very weird give and take type of thing. Um, but it's it's so good and it's such a good show. And it did exactly what the show does overall really well, but also demonstrated that its mythology was easily the least interesting thing about it. Yeah, I feel like we all knew that, right? Like, yeah, yeah, we did. Th- they did a really good job in the second season of expanding their world and, and really yes. fleshing out um, whispers in an interesting and an effective way. Like a lot of the, you know, we remarked on this when season two dropped. Like a lot of the times, this kind of a show 
the more they explore their world or their mythology, the 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 more it starts to fall apart. And with this, you know, with Sensei, they actually managed to make it more compelling and more intriguing in their second season and really add depth and, and get you to connect with their villain a lot more. Instead of just making their villain a, a, a tortured good guy, which way too many shows do. I'm looking at you heroes, mm-hmm. um, as great as Jack Coleman was. But, um, yeah, they, they keep Whisper as a straight-up villain all the way to the end, uh, in a really effective way, I think. And yes, this, like you said, this finale definitely is like two seasons of stuff. <laughs> and and it, I do even, I don't think it should have been one episode. I think it should yeah. have been two episodes. It's a two part finale. It's about two and a half hours long. And, uh, there's a really clear delineation of like, <laughs> you know, when they're all having lunch at that, estate of the friend of Rajan's whoever it was um that is that's the end of the first episode and and it would flow better would have much better pacing and it just it would work better if it was two parts um so I mean I would even if if you're someone who I don't know who this would be but if you want to pause there and like come back for the second half after you get some food or something, like, I think it totally works. It might even make for a better viewing experience. I would never do that because I want to watch it all and put it in my eyeballs. But I do think actually structurally that would be more sound. Um, but like you said, this is a finale that despite or even like almost kind of because of all of its flaws, it, it just makes you love it even more. Right. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. very shaggy. Yeah, it's so shy. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about what some of those things are because we're going to have plenty of positive things to say yeah. about this. But let's let's dive in. So first of all, like some of these action set pieces just shouldn't be in there. Like nope. like as great as like when I watched this in the the theater, you know, at the music box with the the premiere of this with you know amazing audience full of people who are even more obsessed with the show and love it even more than I do. Um, when Wolfgang had his big fight scene where he like had pushed, like cut off his IV. And then I was just like, okay, well this is a dream sequence clearly. Cause a gun appeared in his hand out of nowhere. I didn't realize he had taken the gun off of the first guy. Um, when I thought back, I was like, when it didn't, I was like, okay, but the, clearly this is actually like a dream sequence. This does, And then it wasn't. And I was like, Oh show. I mean, <laughs> I guess, are we doing this? I guess we're doing this, but like, come on. Um, so the, yeah. there's some stuff like that where you're like, I know we want to give everybody a win, but like, we got time. Do they though? I mean, they have you time say in every- this, in this finale. I mean, Lito doesn't get a lot to do and that made me very sad. That's very true. Uh, Except um, remark on carbs and like right. and the audience. pretend like, to be the Frenchiest Frenchman ever. Um, yeah. if I stuff more baguettes into this bag, I'm very, I'm much more French. <laughs> <laughs> I just love like the no carbs. We can't have them in the house. I was like, yeah. yep, that, yeah, that is me. That, yep. And yep. a lot of it like boils down to the fact that, I mean, it's a chain of operations that have nothing to do with his skill set, mm-hmm. which is also what happens to Riley is like, there's nothing for Riley to do. Riley brings nothing apart from, I know this woman who can do a thing for us. And it's just like, what? Okay, sure. Um, oh, and I can also connect to all these other clusters for like a little roundup of there's a purge happening inside BPO. And, mm-hmm. 
And hey, by the way, there's the mother of all clusters or something happening right now that I do not understand. So many uh-huh. reviews just reference that as Lothlorien, and I'm like, yeah, I got, I got <laughs> nothing to. You're right. It's just Lothlorien. Yeah. <laughs> yes, and I think that's a really good. I think that's a really good equation there. Um, and I think that kind of hits on like a lot of like the shagginess, but like your point about the action set piece is like I'm okay actually with that Wolfgang set piece because. I kind of needed it mm-hmm. just to like as a break from because I was just like I swear to God if we get another memory montage I'm gonna lose it. <laughs> um, we didn't need his memory montage. Why did we have to make his backstory even know. more tragic? That was I don't ridiculous. know. I kept waiting for it to come back in a more meaningful way, and it never does. It's completely no. unnecessary. It's one of the few things that I would actually like cut. Yeah, change. Like, yeah, I, I agree. It's just like, just, just, it doesn't need to be incest. It can just be his dad's an abusive piece of shit and we're actually seeing it for the first time. Like, that's yeah. enough for us to, yeah. you know. I think so too. I think so too. Um, and it's funny that because like the Wolfgang one I'm fine with, the one that I'm not fine with because it just seems to go on forever, but also because it's just really poorly constructed, mm-hmm. um, is the shootout in, um, in the, the villa. Wherever, mm-hmm. like, what's her name's holding whispers, um, where there's just endless amounts of guys, yeah, <laughs> to be shot. That's very and they're true. all being shot in the same hallway <laughs> over and over. Yeah, but <laughs> and, they're being shot by Wolfgang when he's wearing pink denim, so I don't care. Right? Yeah, that's that 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 gets to like the larger point. It's just like there's so many other like cool things happening. Like the lead up to that, I think with the tourist van mm-hmm. is so good. It's so well done. And it's so delightfully funny and ridiculous. Detective like, hot like- cop with his hot cop with his <laughs> giant camera. Oh, I love it so much. And he's so into it. He's like, Oh yeah. man, I can do this every day with you guys. Let's <laughs> do it. Yeah. Um. So, so like the lead up to that, but the actual like, whole hunt for whispers within the villa is just endless and mm-hmm. it's poorly shot and it's really chaotic in that uh post-continuity sense of like where is everyone we don't know it doesn't matter because that adds to the excitement and it's just like no that's not what you do show that's not how you operate your action set pieces but you also don't have the time budget and money to do your typical action set pieces yeah and that comes through a lot in this particular episode, especially, even if there are, like, a lot of really good ones. Um, or there's a lot of action, I'll say. Mm-hmm. The the quality of the set pieces, I think, is significantly less than they have been in the past. Yeah. No, I, I, I mean, I think they were good, but you can see, even just, like, you know if they had their regular budget, this wouldn't have all happened in two cities, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. Well, no, and they also wouldn't have been, like, all in the same city for the entire time. I mean, it was funny, like, uh, my person and I were watching it, and we paused, like, ten minutes in, and it was just like, okay, where is everyone? Let's figure this out. And then it was just like, oh, they're all in the same place, but they're just on different floors. (laughs) (laughs) It's just like, guys, just... All be in one place. It's, it's, it's like I'm it's okay. a big enough apartment. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, and, and I there's some stuff that's just so hilarious about that. We will get to it, but um, I I do love the idea that for the finale, and I'm sure that was purely for budget reasons. But they're like, mm-hmm. no, everybody's physically in the same place, you know, like, and they will break off into groups, but they're all going to be in the same city. We've spent the whole show with them, like visiting each other. But not actually physically inhabiting the same space. Till that, yeah. oh man, that is still one of like my favorite reveals of recent like 
five to ten years of television is that reveal with Will and Whispers. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, no, it's so good, so good. Anyway, because so- they they build that up so well. Yeah, um, but so so to have that for like just even like this is the finale. So for the finale, yeah. we're gonna do that. I think that's great. But what more than anything it lets lets us do is really finally get all the the humans <laughs> interacting with everyone in such a wonderful Which way. Is really, the best part of this finale for me. Yeah, because Lido gets like nothing, but Danny gets some really great stuff. Um, mm-hmm. which I oh man, her thing to whispers just just Jeff's kiss. It's so good. And when she, yeah. like when she just like is badassly like like cocking and 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 like checking the 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 clip of the gun that they have, and just and you're like, oh yeah, that's right. She comes from an abusive background, and it makes sense that she what once escaping that would have armed herself and like that's her personality and stuff it fits with what we know of her but we've spent so little time with her outside of you know agent recently Mm -hmm. that it's easy to forget you know like it was (laughs) again y'all should have heard the roar of like losing our goddamn minds that happened when she took that gun it was just like boom 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 what's that yeah i'm on this like oh it was so great it was it was so great to see not only i mean in, in an actual season three, we would have gotten a much better opportunity to see all the humans respond to finding out what sensates are. But, it, like, when they finally told Danny and, um, uh, what's, what's the awesome, uh, boyfriend husband? What's Lido's boyfriend's name? Oh, um, it is Hernando. Hernando, right? When they yeah. finally told Hernando and Danny, I was just like, I was just so happy because I was literally talking with the person that I went to this with. Okay, so I'm going to need them to tell everybody. And I, we need to start with Hernando because he doesn't know yet. And that's insane. Um, so so getting to really, ex- like, the, the, the sensates have felt that exhilaration and have felt that joy and that togetherness in the first and the second seasons, but there's always been a distance with everybody except for Amanita. And so to see that respect and that joy and that inclusion of all those, of all the humans surrounding them, who of course everybody has a positive reaction because there's not time for them to have a negative reaction to come around. Right. No, there's no time for Rajan to be like, I I have thoughts. No, Rajan, you do not have time to have thoughts. You You have time to, you have time to discover your bisexuality is what you have time to do. <laughs> yeah. You have time to get on board and for us to subvert the the love triangle uh, expectations. Um, and that's it. But, you know, that was so exciting and so fun. And, and like, and they make sure that they're including the humans in, in like, in their montage, like when they're all rocking out to the music and they mm-hmm. make sure, like, none of the sensates need headphones because Riley has headphones. But, they make sure that all the humans can hear too. It's just so, it's so wonderful. It just makes me emotional just thinking about that sequence. And it's just people sharing headphones. But sometimes that's all you need, especially when it's been a shitty week. Sometimes all you need to, is to watch a group of people share headphones with each other to understand, you know, to be reconnected in with the the interconnectedness of humanity and the ability for humans to reach across differences to see themselves and to see everyone around them. And, you know, like, it's it's very straightforward. It's the, the logline of the show. We are all connected. Love connects everything. It's a very straightforward message. It's just so beautifully executed and so lovingly executed that 
I, I will just go with this show. Whenever they want to do some ridiculous over the top, like very blatant, cheesy, ridiculous thing, I just I'm I I give it to them every single time. I'm happy to go with them. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I'm that's why I think that even like as I can like pick apart the finale and just like pick at like little seams and dangling threads, it's just like I don't care and I don't want to because it's just the sheer amount of joy and connectivity that the show espouses even within this finale but particularly by the um after after they blow up a helicopter um (laughs) with a rocket launcher which oh i shared wolfgang's glee (laughs) upon seeing his (laughs) beloved rocket launcher again yep yep (laughs) um that it doesn't matter because it's so that connectivity that and that acknowledgement of how important that is and how vital that is to an ex- the, the human experience um, is just, it's delightful. And as you've routinely espoused when discussing the show, of how deeply humane that is and how deeply humanist positive that is um, for that to be depicted and embraced in a lot of ways, because that's the other thing that something like making sure that all the humans have headphones um is really delightful because it pushes back against Whisper's whole, they're just going to treat you like pets. Or also, like, I also go back to, um, how I forget, I think it was the old woman in Iceland who turned out not to be dead. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Listeners, there was an eye roll there. <laughs> um, yeah, no, there was a huge eye roll there. Um, saying that, like, loving within the cluster is just a massive amount of vanity. And in that, in turn, has like negative connotations to it. And so I think that the cooperation between these this particular cluster and then the cooperation of their humans and the acceptance of their humans um, pushes back against both of those currents that allow some degree of critique to come in, but also the present that critique as invalid, as narrow-minded, as incorrect and it's just it's really good and it's really wonderful Mm -hmm. no it's absolutely lovely um let's talk a bit about rajan and um i how like (laughs) perhaps my favorite like little hilarious thing was just him coming into the house and being like what is what is going uh, like it's so funny it's just hilarious and so funny um the again it goes back to the the message and the themes and the the presiding interest of this show um in Lonelkowski as the you know the the showrunner for, at least the director writer or whatever for the finale here um yeah is because is um Lily had stepped away from the show. Yeah, Lily stepped away. Uh Lily Lukowski yeah. stepped away. Um but um it's just this respect for this character that again on any other show would be laughed off would be the oh it's isn't it so too bad that he's perfect but she just doesn't love him she loves the bad boy instead like they go out of their way after kind of shunting him to the side in the second season just i'm guessing just because there's not enough time there's so many characters to to bring him in and to em- embrace that character to to underscore like yeah he was doing some shifty stuff but he never was shifty towards her, really, mm-hmm. and and that and and to show the merit of 
of him as a character, but also of their relationship and their their marriage. Like, it would be so easy. It would be so easy to throw away that character. And they yeah. don't. They're not going to. And to, and to, to just, and this show about love in many ways, to just cast aside the arranged marriage on the show in favor of the real love of, of the, you know, the physical attraction and, and and everything with, with Kala and Wolfgang, but they don't do that. This is a perfectly valid method of, of like of, of, of finding a partner and choosing your life and, and all that. And like, millions of people across the world do that and live happy fulfilled lives and and i like i really did not expect them to go this way with rajan and to to have kala really anxious about everything and then rajan and wolfgang are getting along at gangbusters and she's like this isn't helping guys they're <laughs> such good buds they're such good buds they are he's like hey this guy's awesome she's like yeah i know <laughs> like yeah he's pretty cool yeah i i know and you know why this is a little awkward. It's like, eh, does it have to be though? And <laughs> Noel, how many times have I said that? Does it <laughs> no, have so to many. be? No, so many. Yeah, it doesn't have to be. And it doesn't have to be. And oh, probably the biggest cheer. Yeah, well, one of the biggest cheers in the audience that I saw this in was when they they moved when they had their threesome at the end, mm-hmm. and when yeah, yeah when Rajan like opened himself to that experience, um, like like. Nobody, I mean, most of the people in that audience did not expect that, did not expect to see full on Rajan and, and Wolfgang making out and having a wonderful time and exploring themselves and each other. Like, it was amazing to, to see that with other people. And I can't imagine what this visibility feels like for people who are so often underrepresented, certainly like, you know, like either queer or bisexual uh, men of color, like. <laughs> it's not a thing you see on TV, um, so, and, or on Netflix most of the time. So I just, I just love the way they went with that. Yeah, no, it was really delightful, and I, I, it's sort of like the one legitimate tension I feel like in this entire like finale of like, yes, they don't really have time for him to get on board. He has to be on board, but the the idea that there's just enough time and just enough attention paid to be like. Well, how is this going to play out? And Kala does Kala's the writing for Kala does a nice job of playing that up, but also the way in which um, Rajan, um, Rajan, yeah, Rajan, um, just sort of rolls with certain things. Like again, I was while I was watching with my person, she was just like, Rajan doesn't seem all that upset that Wolfgang has his arm and they're canoodling in the back seat basically mm-hmm. and it's just like this feels like this should be a conversation and then like they don't let that just happen it's just like it becomes a sort of weird last minute audience surrogate sort of thing mm-hmm. of like this is this is your last chance this is the last this is your like this is how we deliver our coda basically is through Rajan. And I feel like, like your point being like, this is a character that could have been disposed of in any way, number of ways, or really made to be a disgruntled cuckold. And instead gets the last word basically of like, I didn't know such things were possible. And that delivers basically the entire show right there. And they do it through this character who has this last epiphany, the last character to like, 
need that sort of attention because goodness knows hot detective is on board immediately <laughs> hot cop is right there yeah. <laughs> yeah sorry you're right hot detective not a cop he's not a beat cop um yeah the he has a name and it's moon and it's, it's lovely but that's he's not hot, what, detective. hot detective <laughs> though for another caroline sita i believe uh proposed a change to uh bedroom eyes after oh God, he gives such good bedroom eyes bedroom eyes detective yeah as opposed to just just hot cop um detective hot cop or whatever um but yeah with that character i mean like what has he found out over the course of like a week or whatever his wife who he does legitimately care very much for yes uh, is not actually human and can share her mind and her body across an innumerable distance with seven other people. Like, on the scale of things to roll with. Like, also, I have a boyfriend, and he's really great. And how do you feel about opening up our relationship and trying polyamory? Like, that is, like, on the scale of things. <laughs> and and all these other shows we watch, these other genre shows, insist, insist upon we can't have our lead date two people at the same time. That would just be insane. But they're super down to date a vampire or a werewolf or a witch or a secret destiny person. or And the stumbling block is, but I can't possibly also be in a relationship with another person. Or I can't possibly also respect that you have feelings for two people that are equally powerful and strong and unique in their own ways. Like... I mean, I'm about I'm as vanilla as, it, as they come, but even I think that that's ridiculous. <laughs> Anyways, it just it was so, like I, I didn't. I don't know when I'm gonna see that again. So I really appreciated it here, which is why I've spent so much time talking about it. But we should talk about some of these other characters. Um, I was very excited when when Bugs showed up and and uh, some of these other like one off characters that I did not expect to see ever again. Um. But I do think you already mentioned him, uh, Hot Cop, uh, detect- sorry, Hot Detective Hot Cop, um, is probably next to Rajan, right? The the most exciting reappearance, and of course, I super was excited to see Sylvester McCoy back. I uh-huh. I, I did want to hear just like a little whiff of like a TARDIS in the background when he cuts off and you can't see him anymore. I like, I was like, come on, it would be totally against the mythology, but like it'd be fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think for me, Detective Moon coming back was like the big thing. And like the entire time I was grinning like an idiot because mm-hmm. they're so good and I love them so much. She and... has to introduce him to her family and it's her dog. They yes, remember I know. her dog. <laughs> of course they did. That's what the show is. Yeah, no, exactly. That's what the show is. It's just like, it's just like, uh, I met her family. Oh, how did that go? Flashback to gorgeously sunlit licks on the face from the dog and it's just like mm, pretty good because the rest of her family is in jail uh, <laughs> less of her family is garbage or yeah, dead pretty much or dead yeah um so no i was also really glad when buck showed up because i i thoroughly enjoy bug and um his walk down the aisle with nomi was so good i'm getting choked so up just good. thinking about it it was exactly absolutely gorgeous yeah no it was so good um I was the one thing I will say is that I was glad that everyone from Nairobi came for the wedding. Yes. Because they got very short thrifted with this, and understandably so, because it was just like, there's too much to explain to this group of people here. And I'm willing to forgive it because we get the whole, it's her. It's the spirit spirit of of Van Van Damme. And it's just like, this is very good. 
very good. Um, <laughs> and that performance from that actor, it's, it's such a big, not just Caiaphas, but, um, uh, but that, but the friend, right? It's G- such a, Gila, yeah. Yeah, it's such a big performance and a big moment, but it's so perfect for yes. that character. And like, it, 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 the tonal balance of it, because, and we can, of course, Sun is, I literally just realized Sun and Moon. Oh no, so did I. Oh my god. Anyways, because Sun uh is is so internal, right? It yeah. he can just beam with joy and enthusiasm and, and it those that little moment works really well and it, it just is fabulous. Like the the pitching of these performance performances throughout, I think works really really well because you do have like the really small with the comedically over the top um and i think the sh- the the finale here does a pretty good job of matching them all yeah i think so too i think so too i and yeah and like the one thing i would have wanted because i really liked her was um zakia getting the reveal and everything and like we didn't get that and that's it's not fine, but it was just like, there's no room. Because we have to fly you guys out from Kenya for this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you guys don't have the money like Rajan does to just whisk yourself away. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we didn't ugh. see, uh, and we didn't see Kala's family there. No, just, yeah, but, no. But, um, I don't think they were there. No, but but that's, I mean, that's appropriate. It's like, come to my friend's wedding. Like, that, that doesn't make me sense. Um yeah. That works for 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 Caiaphas, but not for the others. I would say, um, okay, best okay, best surprise, funniest moment, and uh, most stressful and or cryingest moment. There's so many. Yeah. Um. Let's see. Uh. Best surprise. Um. I don't know what surprised me really. Um. I'm trying to think, like, I mean, we've covered Rajan so well, and that was, like, the only thing that was legitimately surprised. So, well, tensest moment, I legitimately thought that they were maybe going to let Kala die. Yeah, no, me too. And that was that was very tense, and I was not okay with that. I was just like, are you guys gonna, like, do anything? And again, like, um, my person was just like, stomach wounds take forever. They take forever to die from. Just... Apply pressure and get her to a hospital. That's all you need to do. <laughs> and so when, like, Kala appears in the Sense8 forum and it's just like, guys, um... Are you gonna do anything? Are you gonna do anything? Because I, j- I need oxygen and I need you to apply pressure. That's really all you need to do here. I'm not and dead so, yet. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Yes, you are. No. And, <laughs> so that, I think, was, like, the legitimate sort of tension. Um, what was the other thing? Funniest. I mean, basically, Leto's there for comic relief, so everything he does is very gold of, like, exercising through and everyone's responses to him exercising. It's just like... Will he shut up? Can he shut up? I'm going to kill him. Um, and so, yeah, and he's so committed to his tourist outfit because uh, <laughs> it's the worst tourist outfit. Um, <laughs> it's the least flattering of the bad tourist outfits because, like you said, Wolfgang in pink denim works for some reason. <laughs> because he's Wolfgang. Um, so, he's, he's, yeah, because he's, he's, he's going to make it work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think those were, like, my things. What about you? Um, you'll have to tell me a surprise. And I, I feel like it's very telling that we're not saying, oh, it was a surprise about what Angelica was up to. Or yeah. it was a surprise about what Jonas was up to. Because nobody cares. Nobody cares. <laughs> nobody cares. Though I do think, especially with Jonas, they did a good job of 
Like, I think they used the character the correct amount to have it at least feel like it made sense. You yeah. know, I don't know how well it'll hold up if I thought about it. I'll have to watch it again for that. It oh, doesn't no. hold up. <laughs> but um, but it's enough, you know, There's it, having that character there who knows stuff that we don't know, and I think that Naveen Andrews does a good job with his performance with this as well, sure, to be yeah. like, where, where he's mysterious, but not, at least for me, not irritatingly so. Like, He's irritatingly mysterious, but sure, go on. <laughs> okay, um, but um, I thought that they kind of uh, they that at least that worked for me, even if they brought Angelica back too much, and it didn't really and it didn't all follow. But um, surprise, I will go with some of the characters that popped back up, specifically Sylvester McCoy. I expected to see Bug again. I expected some of these characters, <laughs> but I did not expect to see him again. Um, I was very pleasantly surprised with, again, like the way they handled Rajan and, and, and how that went. Um, the funniest moment is straight is like when they think there's a break in and it's, you know, like that, that was the funniest moment. And, um, God, there's so many emotional ones. It's like the whole, the whole end, yeah. every part of the end, Nomi's mom high out of her gourd on brownies <laughs> Right? Like, I don't buy it, but nope. I don't believe it for but a second. But they needed it. But you yeah. needed it. And and I'll give it to them. I'm okay with it. Even if I think she's going to, like, come down off the brownies tomorrow and be a bitch again. Yeah. Um, They got that moment. And watching, like, Amanita and Nomi just be like, I don't know what's going on. This is not going to probably last. But, hey, this is a nice moment. <laughs> Like I loved that they brought back the guy, the, the guys with the fairy wings and everything from Pride. Like, does it make sense? No. No. Like, Nomi and 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 uh, and Amanita don't know those guys. That there's nothing to indicate that they actually know them. They just saw them at Pride, <laughs> like or had seen them around a few times. So flying them out to De- to, to Paris for their wedding? No, it's ridiculous. It doesn't make any sense. But I don't care. Cause it's fun and it's yeah. warm and it's 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 a, just at least a little pinch of body positivity and somebody other than a ridiculously hot ripped and or tiny person, which is this entire cluster and all of their friends. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think I, just like there's so many so many opportunities to to just like have c- waves of cathartic tears if you need a cry. This is great for that. And, and at the same time, a reassurance that other people see beauty in this world as well. This is great. Um, I kind of love that they end on the dildo. Like I do too. And that it was wet. It's yeah. just like, it's the best thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like it, it, again, it just underscores how many people I can't recommend this show to because I don't know them well enough. Mm-hmm. But all you strangers on the internet, I can recommend it to you. Yeah. <laughs> um, any other elements you want to make sure to mention or um, or, or just like favorite lines or anything like that? Or or is it time to bid adieu to Sense8, even though I don't want to? Yeah, I think it's just time, even though, yeah, I don't want to. Um yeah, and yeah, yeah, because I don't, I don't want to go on about how like I really wanted to see what this the evil clusters plan was for everything because mm-hmm. it was going to be cool and it wasn't something that we got a lot of time with, which made me very sad. We didn't get um, a good good versus evil cluster fight, not really. Right? No, we did not. Um, but because goodness knows I wanted, but they did not have the time rhythm. <laughs> to do that yeah um so but yeah no it's just such a good show and so 
lovingly pure and he was too good for this world is basically what it boils down to yeah um all the all the sensate fans out there all the clusters out there uh who are pushing and trying to try for a season three i mean it's not gonna happen i understand where you're coming from and i get it and you do you you keep you know texting or tweeting to to netflix it's not it's not gonna happen i'm very grateful at least we got this one. This is a much better send-off. Ridiculous, over-the-top, cheesy as it is. It's a much better send-off than the season two finale would have been. Even though it's not a bad season two finale. Yeah. But this, it, it really felt like a, a very long and very warm and very, uh, uh, it's fan servicey, but in the best of ways. Yeah. Kind of yeah. finale. And I, I think that's that's really accurate. I, very early on, um, I was like, Oh, this is this is a lot of fan service. Mm-hmm. I'm okay with that. <laughs> it feels right for this show, you know. Yes, like it does. It really does. That's why I was thinking ahead of time. Like, are they going to kill any of it, any of the characters? Like, okay, who could they kill? And I, was, and, and I did actually think of Kala, and I was like, but I don't feel like this is a show that kills anybody. And like, well, like there's one person I was like, there's two people I know that they are not going to kill. That they cannot kill, and that's Nomi and Amanita. Neither one of them can die <laughs> because nope. of barrier gaze. Can't they will never do that. But then the other who are the of the other characters could may you know, um and so I was like, maybe call and then then when she appeared uh, and I was thinking the same as your person, I was like, She's not shot in the head, she's not shot in the chest, she's shot in the stomach. It's very painful, but you take a very long time to die. What are you doing? And then that's of course right when she pops up. Like it, it was just like such a again, cathartic release of I knew, I knew this show wouldn't do that. I knew this was a show where everybody lives, even if it doesn't make sense and nobody cares, and we're not spending any time with Riley and we barely see Leto and I don't even care that they keep giving Will, who I actually like I enjoy that character, these long monologues because that's just, 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 just it's more time, it's more time with these lovely lovely characters and lovely performances and it's just this magic in a bottle that we are never going to see again <sighs> but at least we have two full seasons and uh, a, a Christmas special a New Year's special and a finale special and thank you to Netflix for that, thank you to everybody, to the Wachowskis yeah. and to J. Michael, Straczyns- Tris- uh, Michael Straczynski and there's a few other right? Producers, yeah. creators? Um, those, they they were the three primaries, you know? Yeah, yeah. So thank you. And the directors, uh, James Mateague, Tom Tickver, Dan Glass, all of this insanely large, very talented cast who works so very well together. Yeah, I just, I will be a Wachowski fan for life based off of Sense8. Not based off The Matrix, based off of Sense8. I was a Wachowski fan for life after Speed Racer because that was an underrated classic. Very popular but, opinion. I still haven't seen it. I'm a little yeah. afraid to see it. Yeah, no, um, I don't think it's for you. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Um, okay, well, on that note, we'll send it out here um, with a little uh, what's going on. Did you see that at the L.A. premiere of this? They had um, the, who was it, the actual performer of that sing it, and then they invited the audience to come up and sing it with them? Oh, I didn't know that. That's cool. Uh, just if you want more warm, warm, snuggly heart feels... Go seek mm-hmm. out that video. It was lovely. Okay. So we'll end with here with a little bit of, of audio from that and then go off into 
Another week of the Televerse. Um, thank you all for listening. If you show notes, you can find a post of this episode over at theteleverse.org. You can leave us a comment there. Let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can email us, theteleverse at gmail.com. You can like our page on Facebook and start up a conversation there. Or like uh, find us in iTunes with an M4A chaptered feed and MP3 unchaptered feed, as well as we're up in Stitcher. And you can leave us ratings and reviews there. Um, and then, of course, we're both on Twitter. I'm at the Televerse and Noel. You are? At Noel RK. Thank you, Noel. Thank you, Kate. And thank you everyone for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. Twenty-five years and my life is still trying to get up that great big hill of hope for a destination.